Yes, sir. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are at episode three of, of Jacob's Film Perspectives already. Yes, sir. We're back. Yeah, it's a massive movie review tonight. So you got Mass. your boy Jacob Smith is in the building, ladies and gentlemen. The yes, man sir. of the hour. And, and of course, uh, your, your boy Deontay the Giant is here to help out with this massive monster movie review. Let's see. So we got like what six six movies to cover. We got six movies to cover. And I'll I'll just round them off real quick. So guys, if you this is your this is your last spoiler warning. So if you don't want to get slammed with some information that you didn't need to know, now's your chance to run. But uh we'll save some of like the the, the newer releases for last. I know Indiana Jones going to be the very, very last one. So we'll start off with Flash and uh, we'll work our way up from there. And then I'm, I'm, I'm let's see, we got 22 seconds for the intro. So I'll play that and then hopefully we get some shares going. So anybody that's watching this, uh, Feel feel free to share the link with with uh, your friends and family, and to all the different nerd groups that you're in. Uh, Saturday Night Nerds is already covered, so we we should be good on that. Let's see. So without further ado, we'll run that intro. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. So it's episode three of Jacob's Films Perspectives. And you got Jacob Smith and yours truly in the building. How you feeling, Jake? Feeling good. Feeling good. A lot of movies this past month. A lot of movies. Oh, yeah. We got our hands full for like the last end of June and then like early July. Some films that came out there. Yep. So without further ado, we can hop right into the first topic. And that is the flash. The flash, the flash. I know you guys touched on it in uh Saturday Night Nerds, so I'm not gonna touch on it too much. I just want to give my my film perspective view of it. Uh you know, it got a lot of hate, and we've seen and I'm kind of glad we waited to review it because it's interesting watching the box office drop right. off. Is that's insane? <coughs> I don't think it deserves yeah. the hate it's getting or the box office drop off. I mean, I get Ezra Miller's a bad guy or a bad person, but you know, you know, uh, the movie itself is actually for what they had to deal with off camera, obviously, yeah. and. Uh, just the production issues, and I mean, the movie's been in development since I was in high school. So I'm grad, and I'm graduating college. So that tells you something. It was like, but uh, overall, I really liked it. The more I think about it, I'm a little, 
I'm a little leaning towards negative on it than I was. I, I, you know, I do grade reviews, so I'll just get that out of the way. It was an A minus when I saw it. It's B plus now. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really good. It's not great. Of course, the visual effects, everybody's already beat to death. Uh, obviously, the visual effects was an issue, and there's no excuse for that with all that money that they put into that movie. Right. No excuse. And the director tried to come out and say, well, it's part it's supposed to be bad because that's how he would see it you could still make it look cool and visual in a different way I think he was just covering himself in the studio there but ezra miller they did great i mean they uh i've never been a big fan of them uh as the flash even before all the drama and stuff i just didn't think it was the right fit and uh yeah they're a great actor but i didn't think they were the right fit for uh barry allen but uh yeah he he yeah he would probably have made a better wally west if anything but yeah he, he was just enough to get by as barry honestly yeah they uh they he they played it good well enough uh uh it made i didn't because i went to the movie thinking oh i'm not gonna i'm not gonna like this just because of them playing the flash but uh they actually did really good and uh they, they i mean they even poked fun at like the old annoying barry kind of yeah with that because like the second barry in the movie is like the barry was in justice league so <laughs> i kind of i felt like they were kind of poking fun at joss weed in there Right, they made him like overly annoying, but I think he, the character Barry Allen was played well, and uh, I actually liked it. I liked him, and uh, of course, you know, the big thing is the Batman's. I think by far the best Ben Affleck Batman scene is in this movie when he's talking to Barry about going in the past and how the past affects us and he's like you don't want to mess with time and it's just him in the alley talking to barry leaning against a car and it's sad that that's the best scene we've gotten with ben affleck's batman i think if people will say the warehouse scene i don't agree <laughs> with that he's killing people he's, he's killing people left and right in that and that's not batman for me so yeah. uh i i actually saw like a bruce wayne in that scene and in, in the alley i love that scene and uh I didn't care for a suit in the movie, but there was some good Batman action at the beginning with Ben Affleck's Batman. I felt like it was a good send off for him. Yeah. And uh, Michael Keaton, I've never been a huge fan. I grew up watching Batman, Batman Returns, but I mean, my I'm obviously I'm just about to turn 25, so I'm that's not my generation. I grew up with Christian Bale, so I mean, that's my Batman. So I didn't really connect with michael keaton's is but i it, i was happy to see him back because i do like batman and batman returns i was happy to see him back i think he did well but the writing was so surface level that they could have just <laughs> they would just dove into michael keaton's batman there's something really interesting there and there's also something really interesting with uh barry allen going back in the past with his mom and there is one scene at the end with his mom that is pretty emotional but besides that it could have been way more emotional i think the script really let the movie down and the visual effects yeah 
But at the same time, I see it as a big popcorn blockbuster action movie. Like it's not deep. It's not. There's not a lot of deep things. I mean, there there should be deep things going on in there, and I mean they hint at the deep things, but they never touch on it. But yeah, I would. It's a B plus. It was really good. I still, if you haven't seen it, I do recommend it. Checking it out if you're a big fan of DC or superhero movies. But uh, yeah, that's all I really have to say on Flash. I don't have much to say there. Yeah, because uh, we. I know we did like a thorough review of it on Comically Inclined a little bit, and then we yeah. like skizzed over a little bit in the last episode. But uh, in case anybody didn't catch that episode yet, uh, I pretty much felt the same way Jacob felt. Uh, Mike, Michael Keaton was, uh, they, they, they didn't do him the perfect amount of justice, but they, they got, they did just enough to get by. And then it kind of like, it, it took your, it, it, it what's the perfect word for this distracted you away from their screw-ups by all the comedy because I, I i did laugh the entire movie and i was just about on the floor uh the entire movie the comedy writing was top tier but i don't know if flash needed all of that for this movie um and then honestly this is this is like very james gunn-esque of a of a flash movie only thing missing was the soundtrack like if you had if you would have gave it a bomb soundtrack this would have been a james gunn movie uh yeah oh and first commenter of the night is mr blake hickman from comically inclined what's up brother what's going on yeah we're just doing a brief review of the flash because we know we've kind of beat the debt beat the dead horse a little bit but uh this is Jacob's film perspectives. We just got to get these movies in. And um, so I, I would say Supergirl was handled all right. That she, I can't really claim her as my Supergirl, but she did a great job. Um, I won't fault her for anything. Uh, a lot of a lot of it's just directing and writing that went wrong with the movie and the infinite loop thing where the they kept trying to save Supergirl and Batman from dying and it just kept dying over and over. It was just like, uh, I see the intentions behind this, but I, I think that honestly was a bad idea because now it just looks like you're abusing really beloved characters at this moment and just making Supergirl look like the biggest punk because she's repeatedly dying. Uh, Keaton's dying over and over no matter what you do and and that makes sense because he's up against Kryptonian, so he's <laughs> without a contingency plan. So of course he wasn't going to last long. Uh, but the, the fact that Flash, uh, like twenty-something year old Flash, and then eighteen-year-old Flash, uh, kept going back in time to see if they could re get redos over, and it's it's just like you're just making it worse, and it. So I, there, there was there were some things they could have done better for sure. Um, I I would have expected this type of comedy to be in like the Wally West Flash movie, but not not so much Barry. Because if you watch Flashpoint Paradox, the animated movie, and that is a prime example of how you could do a Flashpoint Paradox event and and not get into any kind of trouble. 
Uh, so like Jacob said, like good send off for Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne, good send off for Gal Gadot's uh, Wonder Woman. And, I even forgot she was uh, in the movie. <laughs> yeah, like very first scene too. So hey, we, hey, we warned y'all about spoilers. So <laughs> see, yeah. see, Lassos of the Truth says the day has Bruce Wayne spilling his feelings out. Um, which was also if you that was a redo of what they did in the Justice League version of Justice League. Yeah, Aquaman, the, the Justice League. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that they basically just redid that scene, but with Batman instead. So that wasn't really great, but yeah, yeah. I like like Blake was saying, like the the after credit scene was kind of pointless too. One of the worst like, after credit scene I've ever seen, Blake. I agree with you. It was point. It was point. Like why? I just I remember just sitting there like why did I just wait through all these i mean it's nice to watch the credits to see all the people that worked on the film because a lot of people right. don't get the credit they deserve but because a lot of work does go into film that people don't see but that was it was just a waste of an after credit scene it was just so pointless and that it just made no sense and i was just like why did you add why okay yeah it's like yay let's just sit there for like five to six minutes and just watch jason momoa sloppy drunk trying to get to a, a hotel and then he makes snow angels in like a, a random pine like what what is this yeah and the joke is he falls asleep in there but he can breathe underwater Woohoo! but uh as far as like contribution to like anything dc goes honestly i didn't i didn't get nothing out of it for as far as like dc going forward because it's people teasing like Sa sasha kaye would love to come back as supergirl like that that doesn't mean shit like everybody wants wants a role so why, why would you tease us like that and james is going to have to go and recast all of them and he's already recasted soups so uh we can either expect a new Barry Allen or maybe a Wally West in the future, a new Bruce, uh, Damian Wayne, and a new Wonder Woman. So, uh, my overall score that I gave to it last time was probably a B plus. But I'm 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 gonna this time I'm probably gonna chop it down to a B minus just to keep it a little bit more humble. I can so see about that. like a eight out of ten. I can definitely see that. Um, and I think that that's all I got for the flash. Uh, yeah. If you, if you have anything else to I add, I just have a few wrap up thoughts, and then I'll be done with it. Uh, I felt that because I didn't even touch on Supergirl, I felt like Supergirl was done okay. Like you said, I agree with that. Uh, there was I there was a good moment when she saw how zod was to humans and then she wanted to help and that was a cool scene when she uh, lifted barry to get struck by lightning uh, that was a pretty cool scene and uh she was i mean she was a great actress to play supergirl i mean she, she fit the role it was good but i just see it as a turn your brain off movie honestly i don't yeah i don't want to be like martin scorsese here but it does feel like a roller coaster cinema ride. Like it does not feel like it doesn't feel like a real film in some ways. It's very much just a turn your brain off superhero movie. And it's 
honestly, for that, I enjoyed it a lot. It made me laugh a lot. And yeah, uh, I remember the early press was saying it's one of the best. Tom Cruise even said it was one of the best films he's, had, he's ever seen. Tom Cruise said that. So, I mean, the oh. hype for this movie was unreal. But uh, definitely did not live up to the hype whatsoever, which that's not always on the movie. That's more on the people that are hyping it up like that. But uh, yeah, there was deep themes there about, you know, going back, not messing with the past. I did like how the flash kept going back and he just became the uh dark version like the, of whatever it was called yeah he had all the shrapnel from all the kryptonians stuff I, I liked how it showed that no matter what he did it just it didn't matter because i that sometimes you just can't fix things and you got to move on i like that message but right. it wasn't executed well and besides a few besides a scene at the end in the grocery store with his mom <coughs> it was yeah not, not touched on it it just wasn't they could have done so much more with that theme about not wanting moving on from your past trying to get over trauma not trying to change things and i mean they could have done it perfectly with michael keaton as well and they could have tied those two to tie both of their storylines together and had weave weave those together it could have been written so much better but uh it's a movie I say if you really want like a if you really like like those elements and you didn't think they dove well enough into it, just go watch the Flashpoint Paradox animated movie, honestly. Oh, that is the prime example of how a flash yeah. movie could have been done in live action. And yeah, honestly, but- yeah, my my I do have some final thoughts on it. And uh if if you you could have just built up to like a flashpoint paradox movie because that's like an in-game huge deal for anything dc yeah. related and the flashpoint paradox movie was focused on like uh arthur curry's relationship with uh wonder woman and the fact that they were like having an affair and then wonder woman got jealous and decapitated mara and then because of that uh Arthur and the Atlanteans waged war on Themyscira, and that whole war was so insane that it it basically was like apocalyptic level, and uh, that that's the type of stuff you want to see in like live action because that movie had absolutely no business going as hard as it did, and <laughs> yeah. uh, that's what I expected when DC first announced it and they said, "Yo, like we're gonna do a Flashpoint movie." I was like, you you do realize like that's a huge deal, and you got to work your way up to that. And it was just everybody had faith in it. I didn't. Uh, and technically, this movie that we saw in twenty twenty three that was kind of a flashpoint movie. They just named it Flash. And but yeah, if this was supposed to be like the send off for the whole Snyderverse, uh, it's it just not my cup of tea. Yeah, I mean, that's all I got to say. I will say it is, people are going to hate me for this probably, but it is my second favorite DCEU movie. And I know that's crazy because people love Man of Steel and uh, people love, some people love Wonder Woman. I, I enjoy, if I had to pick one, I'd rather watch this over Wonder Woman or Man of Steel. And I know that's crazy to people, but I just, I never really cared for the, 
DCEU the last 10 years. I just, this Zack Snyder's Justice League is my favorite. And that's just because it actually has thematic elements that pay off. And it's the most, as a film nerd, it's got the most, the best writing and the best story of the whole DCEU by far. I mean, he has four hours to cover it, so that helps. But like, yeah. But The Flash, I'll end, I'll end it on a positive note here. I said a lot of bad stuff about it, but at the same time, I enjoyed watching it. I, uh, Ezra Miller did great as Barry Allen and didn't, he didn't annoy me like I thought he would, like he has yeah. in the past and the previous movies. And, uh, I, uh, I really enjoyed, uh, Michael Keaton and what he did because Michael Keaton's a terrific actor. So even if you give him subpar stuff, he'll elevate it. And, uh, Sasha, what, whatever her name is, I can't remember. Sasha Kaye. Yeah, Sasha Kaye. Her is Supergirl. She did the best she could with what she got. And I mean, it's an, it's enjoyable. It made me, I will say it made me laugh. It is really funny. And it, it has great comedic writing for sure, like Deontay said there. But I just wanted it to go deeper into its themes is my only issue and the visual effects. But overall, it's still re really enjoyable. I recommend watching it for yourself and making your own opinion because there's a lot of you people are either loving it or hating it and i think it's somewhere in the middle so just go and view it yourself and that's all right that. yeah uh, I, honestly I, I i agree uh the only reason i gave it like a solid a and maybe like a b minus is because i know every time i think about it the score is just going to get worse <laughs> But I I won't let it go lower than like a a seven though I won't let it go that low. It's a, it's definitely a movie I could go back and revisit, and, and and not and not have a bad time while watching it. But it's one of those DC movies that you get absolutely nothing out of it, except like that that blockbuster feeling, like when you're just looking to have like a house party to entertain people. That that's when you play the Flash. Yeah, and I will say the opening scene, a lot of people hated the opening scene with the babies. I thought that was actually a really good, well done. I thought that was a well done, besides the visual effects, I thought that was a well done tense scene. Because I was on the edge of my seat that whole scene and the whole chase with Ben Affleck. I thought the, I thought the opening 30 minutes were great. I thought the opening 30 minutes were perfect for me. And then it just kind of dwindled down as it went on. Yeah, they planned it very well. This like you, you can plan these scenes out really well, but the whole movie somehow still fell apart. I think it was the overall plot for me. Yeah, cause it's like, dude. Yeah, that's that's the Flash. You guys are probably tired of hearing about it. <laughs> rest rest in peace to that. So we got Asteroid City, the Blackening, No Hard Feelings. Uh, and Insidious, the Red Door. So I'll, I'll let you pick the topic number two. Let's go with the. Let's go with the Blackening next. Oh yeah, I've been wanting to get into this one. All right. So without further ado, the Blackening is up for criticism. And also, and, uh, I, I just saw Blake Hickman's comment. Yeah, Wonder Woman is. It's a pretty cop, pretty much a copy and paste of Captain America: The First Avenger. If you really look at it, 
Except the first Avenger doesn't fall apart in the third act. Wonder Woman does for me. And so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman I, now that I think about it, I was like, dang, it does have a lot in common with Captain America. And, uh, well, honestly, it, it's gal. So, I, criti- criticism was the last thing on my mind. So, yeah, that's true. That's my baby. But, the, but yeah, the blackening. Let's, let's dive into this. This is a movie. I'll be honest with you. I watched it when this come out three weeks ago. Watched it. I watched it when I watched the Flash. So three weeks ago, yeah. And uh, I've honestly forgotten about it. <laughs> I think that's the mo. That's the best assumption or the best sum up of what that movie was to me. Was just forgettable. It, it was very forgettable. It, it's one of those movies where, like, somebody mentions it years later from now. It's like, oh, oh yeah, I saw that, that one back in the day. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't remember any further details. It was it was funny. It made me laugh out loud a few times. It had some great laugh out loud moments. There was some good comedic writing. Uh, I don't even remember his name. The the Urkel copy. Oh. <laughs> I forgot all the characters' names. I, yeah, oh. you forget their names, but the one that the one that was basically <laughs> ripping off yeah. of Urkel, he basically Urkel, basically. Uh, he was the best part. Uh, just my hind die, just the just him mispronouncing things and him being a nerd and just like, yeah. But the horror was so basic. Uh, rednecks with crossbows. Okay. <laughs> I do remember that. God, two twin brothers with crossbows. Okay, that's very creative. I saw a saw like premise. Uh, what else was there? Uh, it falls apart. It it completely falls apart in the third act when it's the villain, which is the Urkel guy. I forgot his name. I'll just call him the Urkel guy. Uh, the villain reveals his whole plot. It is not. It's not, it doesn't, it's not believable. It doesn't make sense. It's like, why did you wait 10 years to do this on this, on this certain Juneteenth? Like you could have done this on any Juneteenth. Why'd you pick 10 years? Why'd you pick 10 years to the day? There's no reason, rhyme or reason for that. They kill, they completely forget about uh, the one character I remember is Miranda. I remember Miranda. <laughs> they kill her off. Off screen, like you see the guy coming after her when she's up the stairs, but then they kill her off off screen, and then you see her body being dumped like 30 minutes later in the movie. It's like, okay, what happened to her? Like, they forget about characters in the script. Like, the script felt like definitely like somebody's first script that they wrote where they forgot about characters while writing it. And they, <laughs> they're like, we got some good punchlines here. And there was some good punchlines, but they didn't have much of a story to build around those comedic scenes. Yeah, I, I definitely feel the same way because it's like uh, you, you got like a mysterious game that this movie is supposed to revolve around. You get no explanation for why the game is even there and where it came from. Then you got or the random random assassin hillbillies that got hired by people that we never found out who hired them to do the job. And it's just there's no there, there's no history to anything in this movie. It's just like, I, I wonder if the writers was just like, don't take this too serious because it's supposed to be like a horror con. So 
but at the same time you put just enough care into it to where the plot doesn't make us even more confused than how we started because i i watch parody movies all the time like scary movies one two three and four they they all turned out well and i wasn't angry when i was done watching them but and of course i mean it's called the blackening it's a lot about it's a lot about race and social issues and it's a lot uh i felt like the jokes were pretty well in taste i didn't i didn't none offended me i wasn't offended by any because they do like to uh they make fun of white people a lot in the movie which is fine quite a bit yeah i went i, I went in knowing that and I, I mean i make fun of white people all the time so i mean i yeah. i didn't I didn't white people are dumb sometimes so I I I was not offended that wasn't my issue with the movie at all uh I just wish it was written better cuz it did have some great comedic moments there was one whole the, the best moment in the whole movie is when he's shooting at the guy and the guy grabs his gun and fixes it for him that is, I, I died. I, I couldn't breathe. Like I died laughing at that part. But so there is some parts that will take you out. Like the the it's 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 hilarious at parts, but overall forgettable. I think I give it a B plus when I watched it. I'd probably go B B minus now if because I mean I I have not thought about it since I've seen it. And it's not yeah. going to be one I rewatch or buy or own or anything like that. It's just, it's basically a movie. If you want to go on a date or something go and want to laugh, just watch that. It's just yeah. like mind numbing, you know, not, it's not really well-written film. Yeah, because we're both film majors too, so it's just like, man, I don't want to criticize this movie, but it, especially because you know, like, not only is the cast like people of color, but like the staff behind this movie are people of color, so it's just like I want to give them a chance so bad, but it's mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I'm being fair to the rest of the world by like letting them pass for mediocrity and then like going ham on somebody like Sam Raimi when they mess up and it's. So I, I I try to keep it fair across the board for every movie I watch. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I take I take politics out of it when I review movies. I just try to absolutely. I I watch it as a film and see how it's meant. Because I mean, of course, like Deonza said, we're both film majors, so I see a film with when I look at a film, I'm looking at camera movement, structure, storyline, all that. I'm not looking for political messaging or virtue signaling or any of that i'm just looking for a well-made film and the blackening was not well made but it wasn't terrible either it's just in the middle it's a mid it's mid it really is uh Kel kelvin Caitley just popped up shout out to black mac over at that feeling podcast network uh thank you for stopping by uh we're not sure if you've seen the blackening but uh it it's it's a horror comedy movie that came out just a couple weeks ago and me and Jake just got through tearing into it a little bit. I do have some like final thoughts on it. Um, I appreciate so, that, Kelvin. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you. I, I wore it today on purpose because we were talking about some horror movies. I was like, I'll wear my Camp Crystal Lake shirt. It's a little crooked right now. I'm sorry about that, but it. I appreciate <laughs> that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. I that that shirt is dope, man. Uh, Honestly, I wish we would have gotten another Jason movie, but 
I, I won't put that energy out into the universe yet. Um, as far as the blackening goes, yeah, my overall score on a report card will probably be like a solid C. And then I'll give it a 6.5 on a scale of 1 to, one to 10. Uh, it, it, it's, it's definitely worth the one-time watch. Like if, you, if it comes to streaming service first, catch it on streaming service don't don't spend 14 dollars for it like where i'm from we get like the tuesday matinee so I, tickets are a lot cheaper you can go then don't 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 waste your bread it's it's definitely like if you want to how how would i say this like show show up and show out like you you, you could bring you could bring some your, your friends like that like people of color and, and have a good time of it but like the first the first 30 minutes of the movie was rough, but then they introduced the Urkel character and he carried he carried the comedy and then mm. wind up being the bad guy right after that, too. And so it's yeah, I, I don't know if the movie would have made it without him because the main the two main characters were like a toxic couple and that that was already going downhill. Yeah. And then one of my favorite um, social media comedians, um, Melvin Gregg he started the movie too he was the light-skinned guy they ended up getting shot mm. uh okay yeah i'm then, not familiar with him uh, who else was in the, i don't know any big names but it, it, they they had a, a a nice little roster going it's just their script was just that bad it like yeah, it's not I, the actor's fault at all it's the script yeah if it wasn't for the comedy this movie wouldn't have even probably not even made it to a theater but um, yeah, a solid C, six point five out of ten for for me. And if it comes to streaming service, I might watch it again with with some friends if we're drunk and we have absolutely nothing else to put on. But yeah, that that's that's all I got for blackening. Uh, Let's see, I don't, you, you, I don't, I'm done. That's, awesome. that's so, the best stuff I got. Let's go. Uh, let's go. Asteroid City. All right. I still haven't seen that one yet, but I have seen a couple others on this list. Okay. Uh, Asteroid City is Wes Anderson movie, and Wes Anderson is definitely an acquired taste. He's more. I'll I'll even attack myself here. He's more for like film nerds like me. You know, he's more of. You learn, you learn about him in film classes, you know, because he has such a distinct style. And uh, I've only seen two of his previous movies, Rushmore and The Grand Budapest Hotel. And The Grand Budapest Hotel is top 100 favorite movies of all time for me. It's great. I'll highly recommend that one. This one, the whole time I watched it, I was the only one, in, me and my pal, pal I went and saw it with, we were the only ones in the whole theater. So... And it was opening weekend too, on a weekend night. So I don't think it did well at the box office, which Wes Anderson really never does because he's such an acquired taste. But it has the all star cast Tom Hanks, Scarlett Johansson, Adam Brody. Uh, oh my God. Margot Robbie's in it. Uh, oh. Who else is in it? There's just so many people. It's hard to name, but those were like the big ones that stood out to me. Uh, I want to say Tilda Swinton's in it. Uh, the little, the girl that plays Beverly in the new It movies is in it. 
a few. It's it's an eclectic all star cast for sure, but uh, it's basically it's about a play, but the but it's hard to explain it. It's basically you're in a you're in a play. <coughs> Brian Cranston, him, Walter White himself, introduces you to this play. And then you go inside the play, and then the play is about these people that go to this town called Ashford City in uh, New Mexico. I'm get, I think it's in New Mexico, or it's somewhere in, out in the desert, and it's like a nuclear testing site. And I'm guessing the 50s, 60s is what it was. And uh, aliens show up. Jeff Goldblum actually does the stop motion for the alien. You don't see just Jeff Goldblum, but he does the body for it, which is pretty cool. And uh, aliens show up, so then they get quarantined and they have to stay there. And uh, it's basically just them trying to figure out what's the meaning of life, basically. And like them seeing that there's life out there, they're trying to find the meaning in their own life because it follows the main guy who is uh, he's a little kid in Rushmore. I forgot the actor's name, but it's the main guy. His wife dies, and it's about him and his kids after his wife dies. He's a widow, and Tom Hanks is the grandfather. And uh, they're just all trying to find meaning in life, basically. It's basically one of those movies just trying to find the meaning of life and what is life. And uh, it raises some important questions. It does what it, it – I can't really recommend it to everybody because Wes Anderson is such an acquired taste. Yeah. That I just a lot of people do not like him, so I can't really recommend it to everybody. But if you're a Wes Anderson fan, definitely check it out. It's I liked it better than Rushmore, and that's one of his usual uh, best ones. People say I uh, I watched it. I'd give it an I still give it an A A minus. It's a great movie. It's a uh, it's very smartly written, and it ends on a very ambiguous note, which a lot of people hate. But uh, if it's done right, I like that. And uh, it's done pretty well. I mean, I feel like you could have put a few things up a little better, developed a few characters a little better. But other than that, no, Asteroid City was a great watch. Definitely, if you're a Wes Anderson fan, check it out. And uh, honestly, I don't have much more to say on that because there's not much to I mean, I just spoiled the big part is aliens show up because that's not shown in the trailer. But other than that, there's really not much to talk about. You kind of got to watch it for yourself. I will say it left me and my friend who watched it kind of like spaced out after the movie because it does make you, it leaves you dumbfounded because you're thinking, you're, you're, uh, kind of like, man, what did that movie mean? What was it trying to reach at? And, it's one of those movies you research after, like what was the meaning behind the movie? What was the meaning behind this? What was the meaning behind that? And you kind of have to make your up your own interpretations of that. And if you're not for that type of movie, definitely do not go see that because it's definitely an open-ended ending and you have to kind of make up your own explanations for things. But I think it's well-written enough and the cast, is, all the acting is great. And there's one particular scene between the main guy and Margot Robbie that's the best scene of the whole movie. Which, if you love Margot Robbie, she's only in the movie for max five minutes, ten minutes. So don't go see it just for her because she's not in the movie much. <laughs> yeah, but go see Barbie for her. 
Yeah, Scarlett Johansson uh, is in the movie quite a bit. She's but she's basically the secondary main character, and she's really great in it. So, uh, yeah, that's all I have to say on Asteroid City, honestly. Yeah, yeah what was your score for it again? Uh, I gave it an A. I'd go A, still probably A, honestly. Nice. I liked it a lot. I'd watch it again. It's one you could watch. It went by so fast. It's, it's two hours, but it doesn't feel like it goes by in like 30. It feels like a 30 minutes goes by it goes the pacing is perfect and the direction is perfect everything is perfect about it it's just in the script is where they could have done a little bit more it's a little too open-ended they could have added a few more explanations i would have liked but other than that i think it's a i think it'll be a sleeper of this year i think it'll be one of those movies people look back on like oh man that was an underrated movie that nobody saw that's a gem i think it'll turn into one of those right but yeah, yeah. Uh, grand, grand budapest hotel is what put me on the west anderson and then like being a film major at cmo is like everybody in our community talks about west anderson so there's mm -hmm. so much hype behind that director and so i'll give it a chance but I may just wait till it hit streaming services and, and check it I out would, then. Yeah, I'd say watch it on streaming services because it is a very because Wes Anderson's already a particular taste, and then the way the story is, it's a, it's a very niche. So I would say definitely stream it before you buy it. Definitely. Absolutely. So let's go. No hard feelings next. Oh man. We're not Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence, have you seen this one? I'm going to. I'm actually going to go see this one on Tuesday. But the trailer okay, looks. I won't. This one I'll keep spoiler free because there's not much I could spoil anyway. But uh, yeah. I'll keep it spoiler free as much as I can for you because you definitely you you enjoy it. It's Jennifer Lawrence. She's disappeared for a while out of the spotlight. She comes back with a vengeance. She is really, this is one of her best roles, honestly. And, uh, wow. It is the return of the raunchy comedy, which I've been missing for a long time. You know, <laughs> we haven't gotten those in so long just because everybody's so sensitive nowadays and you can't do comedy like you used to. And, uh, but this movie brings you back to those old, 2000s raunchy comedies that's what it feels like it takes you back and it's it is absolutely hilarious but it actually has a really good message it doesn't have anything offensive it's but there is some great like standout scenes that like me and my friends still talk about two weeks three weeks after we've seen it like because it is it is there's one there's a fight scene in the movie with jennifer lawrence that is so it's just amazing it's it's what? Yeah, there's a fight scene with her to the to Man Eater by Hall and Oates, which is a classic '80s song. She's a man eater, yeah. and it it is iconic. <laughs> it'll be one of those scenes that stand out. It's it's a, it's an iconic scene. You'll love it. You'll love it. Like I don't. Everybody in my theater, I I saw it in a packed theater on opening night, and it was everybody was laughing, having a good time. It's just one of those great. It's 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 probably the best comedy so far this year i mean we haven't gotten much but i'd give it an a minus just because it does fall into some of those cliches of those raunchy comedies and how it ends on kind of like a uh 
cliche note kind of ends with a, oh everybody's happy everything works out in the end type of ending yeah it has some lazy writing there but other than that the story is it, it was just nice to see raunchy comedy again in 2023 it was nice to see that because they actually pushed some boundaries with the jokes it's 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 pushing rated r like it's rated r but it's it's getting to the unrated nc 17 like it's pushing in a few times it gets pretty nasty with jokes but it's all in good fun it's never offensive it's all like if you love movies like uh super bad uh not another teen movie uh american pie anything like that you'll love no hard feelings you'll love it nice jennifer lawrence yeah she she's back i hope she starts acting again because she i was never a huge fan of her like i, I watched her in the hunger games growing up and x-men but after watching her no hard feelings i'm like i, I want to see what she does next because she does really good and silver linings playbook is another comedic movie she's in that's great that you should you guys should check out but yeah definitely no hard feelings i definitely recommend if you're a little sensitive to sexual content and nudity I would say probably not your movie. I'll just say that right now. It's it's a raunchy comedy. For, it's very raunchy for sure. It's a raunchy comedy. There's nudity, sex, and all kinds of stuff, and cuss words and everything. But I mean, if you if you're it, like that stuff that doesn't bother you, then definitely check it out. It is. It's a great comedy. It is. It really is. Uh, I still think about it. Like I still there's still some jokes in it that stay in my head, and it's uh, <laughs> the main kid. <coughs> is uh really good too i forgot who, what his name is but uh i think this might be one of his first roles and he is really great he like he keeps up with jennifer lawrence who's a seasoned actress so i mean it's impressive and uh it is just a great comedy that we don't see anymore so i highly recommend everybody buy t buy full price ticket to go and see it so hollywood knows that we want that kind of stuff because we don't get these anymore and i feel like this is probably the only one we're going to get this year that's like this so right definitely check it out yeah i'm definitely i'll definitely uh get back to you after tuesday to uh let you know the verdict on that yeah i want to know what you think about it because it's Everybody, I mean, even my my aunt has gone and saw it. I mean, a few a few people I've known have gone and seen, seen it, and it is definitely everybody's that I've talked to has loved it. So definitely go check it out. And I think it's a little underrated because not a lot of people are talking about it. Besides, like hearsay, I guess you don't see a lot on the internet about it on film, Twitter, and stuff like that. You don't see. But it should be talked about more because it is a very well done comedy and it's actually got some great shots like the direction the camera work is actually really good for a comedy and it's actually pretty cinematic so yeah yeah uh what 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 is like the overall synopsis for this movie yeah the overall synopsis is basically there's this kid he's a he's a virgin he's I think he's 18 he's about to go off to college he's never experienced anything in life he his parents are like helicopter parents he's he's never been to a party he never he doesn't have friends he just works he spends his days at the local vet just uh helping out he doesn't even get paid he's just a volunteer at the local vets thing but he's a really sweet kid but he just 
he's very awkward and he's definitely in his shell and they're but they're rich his family his parents are rich and uh they pay jennifer lawrence who needs money to uh to pay off her bills on her house they pay her to, to kind of bring him out of his shell and take him out and uh i will say some people the age difference is a little off because she's 33 in the movie and he's 18 so some people might find Ooh. problems with that but there's it's very it's played well and it's played tastefully and it's not creep it's not creepily done there's not any like creep factor to it it's it's really but yeah she basically just is paid to get him out of his shell because she needs a car basically they tell her if you get him out of a shell then we'll give you this car for free and she needs a car because she's an uber driver so and she wrecks her car at the beginning so she's basically trying to help this virgin nerd out for get, yeah. getting him ready for college and parties and you know sex and all that stuff <laughs> for a, a car basically is what she's doing it for at the first but you know how these things go you know she gets attached you know their relationship builds but it's a very platonic it's not creepy it's not that and she kind of she helps him find himself kind of and it's that's where i say the cliche moments are because it is the story is cliche but it's done so well and the it's so hilarious that it's 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 fine like you can be cliche if you can do it right i think and uh they do it right, right for the part. yeah it kind of have you seen the movie girl next door from like way way back in the day um, that has been on my watch list but i have not seen it no it's like from what from what I've heard so far that it's almost like the the modern day version of Girl Next Door because Girl Next Door came out like late two thousands probably like two thousand six or seven I'm I'm probably all off with my years but it was definitely two thousands and uh, this dude wasn't necessarily like a virgin but he was kind of like not the coolest dude around and he had like a porn addiction and the girl that he asked to go on a date prom date with him is a porn stars and and then all sorts of madness just unfolds from there but the comedy is pretty elite uh i still remember lines from the movie to the very day and it's always worth the money to to see it again uh so that that's the kind of vibe i get off of no, no hard feelings but i don't i don't know because a lot of people might have like misunderstood it and been like is jennifer lawrence like an escort that they hired to yeah, she's not. She's just actually she's a she's a she works at a bar and she's an Uber driver. She's not a prostitute or an escort. She's none of that. She's yeah. a she's just a regular girl. And they even make jokes about her becoming like, what, you're willing to become a prostitute just for a car. Like they make jokes about it. But she's not a prostitute. No, she's just a regular girl trying to save her house, basically. And make and she has to get a car to make money. So it's just her trying to get a car, basically. I, I can respect that for sure and her and uh she is like i mean she is a very you know like sexually positive girl like in the movie she is like there's guys there's like exes that like she's scorned and stuff that come back and try to start problems with her and that creates comedic hijinks you know and there's so she definitely is kind of like a like a toxic very toxic type but yeah she uh by the end of it they kind of both learn from each other and uh there is some cliches to it but there is some good parts and uh it's got some laugh out loud moments an iconic fight scene that i 
never thought I would say in this movie. I didn't expect the fight scene in this movie, but it is absolutely hilarious. And it's, uh, yeah, go check out No Hard Feelings for sure. That's out of all the movies, this is one of the top ones for sure. Absolutely. And did you already give your score on this one too? Um, yeah, I go A minus probably. A minus? Yeah. I- I, I got I got so scrambled up and trying to remember like the name of the uh, the cast and then I, I was like oh shoot the score so a a minus probably like like a nine out of ten maybe honestly yeah I'd go nine out of ten yeah that that that, that that's really good news because I love I'm I'm not the craziest Jennifer Lawrence fan and I, I don't see it like most of the hype that's about her. I've never seen Hunger Games, but I loved her as Mystique. Um, yeah. I hope she comes back to Marvel in some way or another, or she finds herself a home in DC and she bodies whatever role they give her over there. But that, that that's like you're going to need some insurance for that. But yeah, I'll, I'll definitely check it out Tuesday and, and let you guys know what my final score is for it. So that is it for No Hard Feelings. And then we got two, the, the final two. So Insidious, The Red Door, and Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Let's go with Insidious. Save the best for last. Oh, yeah. I won't say best because I'm not going to spoil my score on that. It may not be the best, but yeah. Insidious, The Red Door. Did you see watch this? I just got home from seeing it. Okay, good. Yeah. All right, good. Uh, I'm guessing you've seen all the four, the previous four. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'll give that to you then. What did you? What do you think first? What did What did you think of the? What do you think of the Insidious franchise? Because it is, I have because I had a debate with two buddies of mine. One of my buddies, I introduced him to the Insidious franchise, and he he really likes the franchise just like me. And then I have another friend. It absolutely does not care for the movies whatsoever. So I, I, I kind of see it as a hit or miss franchise. So like, what is your opinion on it? Like the franchise as a whole, yeah. uh, it was really, it was off to an incredible start. Like I, I thought e- even as a grown man, the first Insidious movie was terrifying and it, it got the job done. Like very first time seeing it. I think I was either in, th- yeah, I was in theaters with a couple friends back then and even I had to have been in my, my twenties and the movie made me jump. And like, I, I had to double check my house when I got home. It, 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 it was no joke for a movie. Like nobody died. Uh, maybe, maybe like one, one person died in the movie, but it still like made its mark. And like, I think I was in the military then. So we were living in like dorms, sort of like college dorms and, uh, somebody would have like a Bluetooth speaker and I would hook up to it and play the tiny Tim song like mm-hmm. tiptoe through the windows. And then like, just I turned the, I'd make the building black out and I turned off all the lights and play that shit as loud as I could. And people <laughs> would hate me so much. It would be like, bro, we all just seen the movie. Why are you doing this to us? And like <laughs> insidious will always have a place in my heart. At least the first movie will. And the second, the second was good. And I think there was a third one that yeah. I didn't really care too much for. And the red door is like the fourth, right? Uh, it's the fifth, the last the fifth. piece. 
there's a fourth one called The Last Key that came out in 2018, 2017. Yeah, I I haven't seen The Last Key yet. And I, I, I might have seen the third one, but I don't think I've seen The Last Key for sure. Uh, I saw The Red Door without having any background or extra context to it. Like seeing uh, Dalton, which was the little boy from the very first movie and kind of the main character. He's time skipped and he's full grown man now. And uh, at the very beginning of the movie, he's made to forget about all the events of the past and learning about the further, which is basically kind of like limbo. Like anybody familiar with like supernatural uh, aspects of things. Um, he, he has the power to astral project and, the longer he astral projects, the more spirits get drawn to take trying to take over his body while he's gone. And it, that opens up a whole can of worms of crazy stuff going. And it insidious as far as my generation of horror movies goes, is pretty it's pretty high up there with paranormal activity. Like paranormal activity kind of fell off for me, at least by like maybe the fourth or fifth movie. But I was still entertained when I saw all five of those movies anyway. Uh, and, and Sidious didn't really have the consistency to keep up with Paranormal Activity. So I would put Paranormal Activity franchise over Insidious franchise. But it, those first two, those first two should should go down in the Hall of Fame for sure. Uh, oh yeah, those first two are two of my favorite horror films of all time. I love the first two. And yeah. a popular opinion about that is, uh, see, I didn't watch since I was late to them. I knew about the Tiny Tim stuff because I had a cousin who watched Insidious when it first came out, and he played that song all the time to mess with me because he showed me the scene. And, like, so I knew that. And, uh, yeah, I watched them for the first time, I think, in 2019, I want to say. I went through all four of them. And then I rewatched the first two in the last year or two, uh, just because I like them that much. The first two are horror classics, in my opinion. Uh, mm -hmm. I think they are so well written, and they're so unique and so different from all the other franchises because it is about astral projection, and then they create this whole realm called the Further, and the way they visualize it is just from a filmmaking standpoint, it's visually stunning because there's just like fog growing through the ground and they just have the little lantern and it's just, the lighting is just, it's really good for scares and stuff. And from my understanding from the film community is that the second one is the worst one, which I don't see how that could be because the second one is actually my favorite one, which is a hot take, unpopular opinion. But I put the second one above the first one for me. The first one on rewatch it kind of falls off because when you real once you get past the initial scare after watching the first one they uh when you watch this watch it a second time a lot of the scares are just from the loud at the loud score yeah like the, the score it just goes it's just like like a loud piano key or something it's just loud and like on when you first watch it it's terrifying but when you watch it on rewatch I guess because I, I I guess because I know about behind the scenes stuff. I'm like, oh, I know what they're trying to do here. They're trying to evoke a scare here, so it kind of annoys you because you're like, nothing scary is happening. You're just trying to scare me with a loud noise, not with 
the story or a character. You're trying to scare me with a loud noise. So that kind of makes it fall off a little bit. Right. That's why, I, that's why I'd put chapter two above that because chapter two kind of dials that way back. And it's chapter two, I think, is the best written out of all of them because it has a time travel aspect from the first one. And this new one, which we'll get into talking about, has a time travel aspect to the back to the first two as well. So I like that about it too because I always like time travel stuff. So, like, yeah, chapter two was my favorite and it still is my favorite for sure. But the first yeah, one classic. Is it's definitely a classic? I, I give them points for like continuity and all that because they oh, they yeah. built a a fantastic world with the the world that they're in and then the further as well. They they built it so good, and uh, Insidious the Red Door kind of keeps going with it because mm-hmm. I I don't I haven't seen the last key yet, but they kind of revisit it a little bit. Or, or they kind of revisit the first two movies where well, I'll just tell you right now the last key and the third one you don't have to watch to watch Red Door you just have to watch the first two to watch Red Door the third and fourth one are prequels yeah. and they don't they don't have anything to do with the first two so you don't have to worry about missing out on anything yeah that, that that's good because it's like that, that allows me to like take my time and and go revisit those later um, yeah, you don't have to watch. No hurry for those. They're they're kind of a they're more about Elise. They're kind of like a prequel with her and her little team. They're not really they're not Dalton and the family is not in those. Yeah, because I, I I will have a hot take on this movie overall, but like the fact that they were able to revisit the Red Door and go in depth about well I, well I think that's part of my problem with is because they didn't go that much in depth about it. I did fall asleep in the in the in the movie like quite a bit. <laughs> the the first the first the first uh, thirty minutes of it, I kept nodding off. Part of it was I'm not feeling too well today, but at the same time, like if, if it's a supernatural horror movie, like you you want to get fed information that you need to get to the end of the movie, and it's just like they're 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 so deep into the emotional aspect of these characters, like like we need you to. We need you to uh, lock in for the next 15 minutes on why the dad is so sad. And then you don't really learn much about that until like later on in the movie anyway. So it's like, why why are these scenes so long? And it's just straight shots of him just frowning and reminiscing on uh, some sad times in his life and why him and his wife split up. Because I not seeing the third fourth movies i i remember the movies being left off with like the nun being in the mirror at the very end while the dad is looking into it and then it just cuts to the credits it cuts to black and um and this movie kind of explains what happened after that that cut scene like the dad got possessed and he proceeds to beat up his wife and kids and almost kills them until uh something happened in the movie where adult dalton stops him from killing his younger self which was really cool yeah i like that um that that could have came early in the movie that that could have that would have made a great opening scene honestly like to pick up where like insidious one and two left off immediately and then showing the emotional fallout like I could do that, but the movie started with them sitting at a therapist's office, and the therapist is, ma- or the hypnotist, 
and the hypnotist is trying to make them forget about all the events that happened in the further and that block starts a whole snowball effect of just trash all sorts of <laughs> nonsense that goes on from there the monster doesn't even look look the same as as he did in the first movie that's and, and that i noticed that yeah and that took a lot of the horror factor out for me too because it's just like a dude running around with red face paint i could go to a buccaneers game and see a dude that looks like him but I, I don't i don't know and, and they made him more i don't know if you felt the same way but they it felt like it they made him more human this time like it really the, did it, in the first movie it feels like an actual like demon entity but like in this one <laughs> it feels like a dude just with grease all over his face it really did because it's just like he had hooves and everything a long tail and his body yeah. was like huge but now he's like a human size he's got yeah. on gloves and like black body paint like yeah i didn't i didn't get that either like why why would you do and, and they spent and the promotion was so much hype about him they were just like yeah they're the red man's back or whatever they call them it was like oh okay that's a good way to advertise this and then you see the movie and it's like oh, no that's not a good way to advertise it oh my god what are you doing that's only thing demonic about him was his teeth his eyes and his think his claws uh, other I than that say, he brings tiny tim back he does twice he actually plays two tiny tim songs one we never heard before and then tiptoe through the tulips of course so that was good yeah. that was cool it brings back that creepy nostalgia nostalgia that that from seeing it in insidious one and they still missed the mark on that so i was creeped out but i wasn't afraid like during the entire movie so it's like an hour and like 47 minutes and i'm just like fighting my sleep so bad because <laughs> like i have empathy for the characters like i understand their situations like very depressing uh the the dad and the mom got divorced because of that possession that almost uh got all of them killed but they, I, I i they try to make it a little bit more cinematic than than the first two movies and it's just like bro just focus on the story don't worry about capturing scenes because that that'll all come with it uh because they, they they spent extra time focusing on like the heroic moments of the dad trying to save his son and then when they finally get out the red door and trying to block the demon from getting in it's like oh is the dad going to sacrifice himself what's going to happen and it's it's just extra time it is directed by the dad the guy that he played directed the dad, this one? he directed yeah this is his directorial debut i'm pretty sure uh he, he he's a dope actor too because he plays yeah. ed warren in in the mm -hmm. all, all the conjuring movies an aquaman yeah and, and he's ocean master and aquaman so it's I, I really respect him but i don't know if this was a, a de yeah. directorial debut that you could brag about it's yeah. like uh I they, they should have let james wan do it i wish james wan would, i don't know where james wan went james wan is just missing I mean, uh -huh. like after he did Aquaman, I think I think he's doing Aquaman. He's worked on Aquaman. I think he did Aquaman too. But uh, other once he got in the Aquaman world, I don't know. He just ran away from horror completely. Like I wish he would do more uh, 
because he had no involvement with this whatsoever. I was watching it. It's actually the story is by Lee Winnell. I mean, that's his partner. So, I mean, you get a little bit of that because, you know, they work together to, to create Saul and Insidious. They, they're a team, basically. And, uh, but the story, I agree with you. And I actually agree with you. I like that idea so much. I think <coughs> they should have started with that scene from chapter two because that scene is from chapter two when he's trying to kill them. Yeah. If they would have started with that and it showed, and that's how we see old Dalton and our college age Dalton is if he would have done that. And when we went from there, I feel like they could have done that could have been, it would have been a great hook and they could have went in a better direction with it because the whole movie, it's trying to be about fathers there's a whole dad element to it because it's about his dad, Patrick Wilson's dad. I forget. Josh's yeah. Movie. And then him and then Dalton, but it's so surface. It is so surf. It's like the script is so lazy. It is so surface level. Like even like, and then they even try to bring up, uh, they even try to do a mental illness, mental health type storyline there too. But they, it's so, subpar and so just face value there's they don't dive deep into it where the end we're like when he hugs dalton at the end and everything is all good like you don't really feel anything because it's like well basically dalton just pissed at his dad because of something we don't know why and then all of a sudden because it starts off at a funeral for his mom yeah his grandma yeah grandma of josh's mom and uh dalton's grandma and uh Dalton's mad at his dad, and like <laughs> at, the, at the end of the second movie, there's no indication of the man. They just jump into it, like he's divorced from his the, his wife. He's like, it's like okay, like where you, you kind of put the they kind of throw you in the deep end there, where you don't know much about the story, and then they don't really explain much. And when they do explain stuff, it's so surface level, where like they try to do the whole dad element, which I really because when they do dad stuff in movies that gets to me and uh it was just so surface level like they just it was the most basic <coughs> dad yeah. line they could have done like oh i get it but like it was basic yeah it, and they draw like I, I think what killed this movie the hardest for me was probably the pacing and then the jump scares too, because the jump scares like I they were making it a hard attempt to try to like not be predictable, and it still ended up being trash anyway. So it's just like, bro, come on, like if you if you're I gonna can, if you're gonna jump scare us, I can count it. maybe four scares in the whole movie. By the way, that's another yeah. thing. It is very for a horror movie. It doesn't have many scares. Like there's the one where he's in the MRI machine. That one actually got me a little bit. I will say. The MRI, yeah. I saw it coming, but it still got me. The MRI machine one got me. Uh, I'm ashamed to admit, but yeah. other than that, <laughs> really none of them. I did like seeing the red face guy back. I forgot what they call him in the movie, but like like we were talking about before, it's a, like a low budget version of him. Uh, yeah, it doesn't make sense. And the whole thing with the red door, where he like he gets a cut on his hand when he's painting the door, and then he makes it red with his hand. And then somehow him painting over it stops the demon. It's like, well, how is that a solution? Like <laughs> he just puts black paint over it, and his dad's okay, and and everything's fine. 
And then it's like he draws a painting of him and his dad holding him as a little kid, and he puts it on the wall. And he's like, "Oh, I made the wall." And he's and it's like trying to end all happy. And I, and then and, and then they try to they bring in Elise for no reason. Yeah, they, just bring, they bring her in <laughs> trying to to save it. I feel like where they're like, "Oh, look, hey, we got Elise here." And then it's like, but why is she there? And she just disappears. And then it's like. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, man, that was a lazy movie. It really was, cause it's it's just like, man, if if I'm feeling generous, I would I would imply that Anna, Annalise or Elise, uh, whatever her name is, she's an angel maybe, cause she, at the very least, they give us this hint like, oh, you'll you'll see your uh, your mom again. And it's just like anybody could have said that to anybody could have said that to Patrick. And so the, to bring her back, they were just kind of being a little gratuitous a little bit. And um, I, I'll do, I do appreciate seeing her. I honestly wanted to see connection with other verses because I think the nun is a part of Insidious verse, isn't it? And, uh, and all the conjuring is connected a little bit. Uh, I don't think so. I think you're thinking of the bride. Yeah, I could be. I, I could, I could be off. I, I know. The bride is in the first two Insidious movies. Yeah, it's the Black Bride. Uh, that's probably what you're thinking of because they look very, they look very similar to each other. Yeah, but I don't think they're connected. No. Yeah, because uh, I, I remember the nun very well, but I, I'm pretty sure that might have been Conjuring because mm -hmm. nun is such an the nun uh, demon is such an iconic villain in horror movies, and it's like that whole that Conjuring was... verse is connected. Conjuring two, yeah, yeah, this is con Conjuring two all the way up, and then you have these two nun solo mo solo movies, and um, I thought Person. I saw a nun, yeah, but yeah, it's it's it, I think I think it's the bride, yeah, yes, I, bride, yeah. So I, I I don't know what to expect because for him to go from Ed Warren to uh. Dalton's dad back in Insidious again. I think that that was a missed opportunity for them to have a little fun with that. But that, that's just me, though. They, you don't have to connect those universes at all, because then you have a hard time explaining what is what. And they didn't even explain the red door. The movie's called Insidious, the red yeah. door. And you see it open and close, and you see Dalton painting over it. That's all you get from it. Yeah, like the red door is there in the first movie, and I'm guessing what I got from it is the red door <coughs> is the entrance to the the red faced demon's lair, you know, where he has Dalton in the first movie tied up and he's sharpening his claws and and this movie has him chained up again. But uh other than that, they don't really explain much about the red door and I mean like I said, they try to do family stuff. Like the whole dad thing, because like he figures out that his dad actually did not abandon him, that he actually tried to, he died and he, uh, he was schizophrenic or whatever and he died and he actually, he, he said it ended with him. He tried to save Josh or whatever. And then that was kind of weird too, how they just brought that up in the fifth movie. Like, oh, my, my mom lied to me. He never, he, he didn't leave, he died. And I was like, it was just, it felt like they didn't have an idea for a story and they were just like, how can we make people that are nostalgic for the first couple that came out that were big hits? How can we get them back in the theater? It felt like at times. 
Like, oh, I know. Bring the red guy back in the red door. Yeah, let's show him in college. Remember the little kid? Let's show him now in college. <laughs> you got that awkward scene at the frat party. It's like, that. Yeah, it's, it's like, why, why even have that? And like the whole relationship that girl obviously was weird because what girl would be stay with a guy who was saying hey i'm projecting like hey i'm seeing these visions like <laughs> you, know, you would not meet a girl at college on the first day and that girl would stay with you throughout all of that that girl is not real that's all such a movie character she would have been gone the first time that she got strangled like she yeah. would peace gone like the fuck this happened here like uh-uh like i like, mean i liked that she was i liked because she was kind of there to add some levity and that was good but like it made no sense it was like girl why are you here leave like this guy <laughs> this kid is obviously not right <coughs> right it's like, you're like just she, giving... belie she believes it like off the bat like everything he tells her she believes it immediately and i'm just like this is not how a real person would react to this situation at all it's like basically you're just offering Dawson a hot, loyal girlfriend. Like, where are you doing, yeah. man? This this ain't horror. And then they're uh, and they're at the talk. The whole they make like the frat party such a big part of the plot, and it's like we spend so much time at that frat house, and there is no reason for it at all. And I'm just like, just why like, are we spending so much time at a frat house? <laughs> he has this little like quasi uh, misogynist sayings that he has, and it's just like, oh. I, yeah, it's really like trying to show that people are pretentious or whatever, and he's like doing his little face mask or whatever, and it's just like, what is, what is it? Why are we here? What's the point of this? And then they try to do a gross out scene with the vomit, and I'm just like, uh, come that's on, that's not really, and, and, and that's not like an insidious because like when I see insidious scares, I think of like slow, creepy kind of moving in on you scares i don't i don't see gross out horror when i think of insidious so that right. felt so out of place in that movie that whole vomit scene yeah it's just like like before that vomit scene happened like he when he was in the bathroom like still puking in the toilet and then he pulled his face out the toilet and this i was like yeah there's there was no explanation there was like a small backstory to it like an accident happened and somebody died because of alcohol or whatever. It was it's, one line of dialogue, literally. Yeah, it's like, come on, man. Like, you could have saved off 15 minutes of this movie by leaving this out. Like, uh, that that dropped my score. That dropped my score even lower after that scene. And it's like, I, I hate to say that about Insidious. Like, the franchise as a whole won't, won't be thrown in the garbage just because of this one screw up. But it does take a hit because of Red Door. Yeah, when I walked out of it last night, I gave it a B. But like now that I'm sitting here, like breaking it down, and like we're actually talking about it and breaking it down more, it's a I'd go C now, probably C. Honestly, yeah. it's a C for me. I'd, I'd probably give it a I'd give it a C minus out of pure mercy because it, it could have been a D plus easily if if things would have just kept getting worse at that frat party. But uh, yeah. C C minus is, is a little merciful for me. It's about a six out of ten. Roughly, I'd go. For, I'd probably go six point five probably for me. Yeah. 
But yeah, that, that, that that's all I really got on that because I I probably bash it all day, but I have to see it one more time, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. It's not one I like. It's one I'll probably I'd watch. I'd watch it again just to see how I'd feel about it. But it's just because I love the Insidious franchise. But it was such a miss. Like I don't want to. Because it's film perspectives page, so I guess I can say this. I don't want to be like Martin Scorsese here. But I like I see so many places where like I could have written that better. I could have written that better. Like the whole movie I'm watching, it, I'm like I could have written that better. I could have like I'm pointing it out, and I'm over here a 24 year old film major, and I was like I could. And the story is by Lee Winnell, the guy that helped create Saw and Insidious. So it does not add up. It's like he must have just did it for a paycheck or just right. He just he was in a hurry to get something out or whatever. And yeah, he did not take his time on that script whatsoever. Nah, and it's because it, it, there was no lead up to this too. Like I, I knew, I, I knew about Insidious: The Red Door was coming out like a month before it came out. Like the trailer just Same. dropped like a month. It's like very last somebody, minute. I actually saw somebody share it. And you know how like a lot of people they share like fake horror, like they always announce fake horror movie news all the time. You always see like a new Jason movie or something coming this year, and it never comes. Right. I, thought it was, I thought it was one of those cases and then they actually released a trailer like a month ago and i was like oh crap it's real i was like oh they're making a fifth one yeah i won't share any horror news unless there's a legit trailer out because yeah because like it is so miss like people will just share like oh there's a new freddy movie coming out i was like i've seen that for the past 10 years yeah it's like what are you talking about man you're playing with my emotions yeah like when i see freddy or a new Jason or a new Freddy or a new Halloween, I'm going to be perked up about it, but then it's never real. <laughs> it's just like, man, don't, don't even post this in a group no more until we get yeah. a trailer. Yeah. I always yeah. wait for the trailer. And, and we did get a none two trailer. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. I'm, I, I, I didn't watch the trailer yet, but I hope it's better than the first one. That's all I would say. Yeah. For, for, first one got, got me through. But the, for the trailers for both the first and this one were very impressive. And the first but, one was rough. Yeah, the, the movie itself was, was kind of rough. It let down. Like, The Conjuring 2 sets up the nun so well. And that movie is my second least favorite in that whole Conjuring franchise. Because it is just so base level and like they don't do anything good with it's like they don't really capitalize on that character like they have such a good character like the nun could go down as one of the most iconic horror characters if they write her right mm -hmm. they could she could go down as one of the most or it because it's a de demon i don't know you know but you know yeah it i could think go his down. real name is vonick vonick yeah, yeah. valick something like that it could go down as one of the best horror characters if they just write it well, because like they had it right in Conjuring 2, but then they none, they was just like, what happened here? So I hope the Nun 2 redeems it. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'll, I'll definitely check it out because anything in the Conjuring Insidious, I'll watch. Absolutely. Because I think it's dropping, it's not dropping in October. It's like September or August, I believe. Oh, it's coming that early? Yeah. Dang. So it's kind of, it's, Kind of like last minute advertisement, but a lot it gave them more time to prepare than Insidious the Red Door did. Yeah, that can be scary though. Last minute advertising, 
Yeah, I was like, come on, man. We got to treat horror movies way better than this. Because right now we're on a losing streak. Yeah, I cannot. I'm trying to think of a horror movie so far. We're over halfway through the year now. And I don't think... <laughs> yeah. I, I can't really remember one that I've loved. Oh, no. I can't even say Scream. I didn't love Scream 6, so I can't even say that. Uh, maybe Scream 6 might be the best one, and it's not even that great. So, Yeah. We have the blackening, we got Insidious, the Red Door, and like maybe like one or two others. And it's just like they none of them made me want to go back and watch them again. So, no, but uh, it's it's all good. Hopefully, they end the franchise with one more movie, and the next movie is better than Red Door. Because if it's not, then that's probably going to taint the whole franchise. Yeah, right now for me, I'm just like first two, and then I'm good. Yeah, I'll just watch the first two, and then I've I've got my insidious fix. Yeah, because it's like two out of five. Like to have a whole franchise with five films in it, and only two of them are memorable. That's like you're you're one away from like being like the worst horror franchise in the game. Like don't don't blow it the next movie. I I hope Patrick Wilson does better i hope he directs more and i hope he does better it's always good to see people di- getting into directing and uh i mean of course he had a easier route than most people because he's been acting <coughs> in the franchise since the beginning so but as far as camera work it was a very cinematic looking film and it did have film grain i did appreciate the film grain Absolutely. I think they actually used, they either used real film or they shot it digitally and then added the film grain, which is probably what they did, but it did look like it was shot on real film. Like it had that real film feel to it. So I really did like that about it. Yeah, I definitely appreciate the cinematography, especially the whole MRI scene. I was like, that's kind of beautiful. That was a good scene. And the beginning was cool too how it showed the cross and then it kind of went upside down into up to the casket that was a good shot too yeah and there's some good there's some good Mm -hmm. there's a scene where he's in the car after the funeral and you can see his mom in the background i don't know if you noticed that but his mom is in the Uh background and you can see her walking closer to the car and then she's not there anymore yeah that was a good scene I, I I fell I fell asleep through a, a, a quite a bit of it, but I yeah, I, I did catch <laughs> I caught I caught the plot overall. So I and I was like, dang! Even if I slept through it, I woke up, caught the plot, and still didn't like it. It's just like, yeah, I'm not gonna spend bread on that again. Yeah, it's, it's instead of Insidious the Red Door, it's Insidious the Red Boar. Yeah, that sums it up. <laughs> Sums it up. Insidious the Red Boar. That's what it is. That's a fact. Yeah, that, that's that's all I got for the Red Door. Same here. So we can... Time for Indiana. The oh, grand finale. Good old Indiana. And the Dial of Destiny. Uh, I have not seen this, but I have read a, a ton of reviews on it. And uh, I I did have a Indiana Jones marathon up until it, so I could I, I don't mind being spoiled on this one. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Because uh, it goes some places I didn't expect. I've seen I've seen this movie twice now. I've seen it the past two weekends. I really I've, I 
this is one movie I have stewed on and stewed on, and I've thought about the past two weekends. I watched it last weekend in IMAX. I was up in Boston, and they had IMAX theater up there, and I watched it there. And then I watched it just yesterday in Kate. Uh, so I've seen it twice now, and uh, my thoughts on it are solid now. And I went back actually this past week after I went back and rewatched the original trilogy this past week. But uh, yeah. before we dive into it, I'll just I'll give my history with the Indiana Jones franchise in the last few years because uh, I feel like this film, especially your history with the franchise, is really going to determine how you like it. Absolutely. Because when I so when I was a little kid, Indiana Jones was my hero. Like it, Indiana Jones was over Star Wars for me. Like Indiana Jones, I had the whip. I had the. I'm pretty sure I had the hat. I, I had the Lego PS2 games. They had. I, I was obsessed with Indiana Jones. I watched it every time it came on TV. My me and my it was a thing. With, it was me and my dad. It was it was a thing shared with my dad. So it's got a special place in my heart always. And I, I saw the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in 2008 in theaters. Kind of depressing to say now, because yeah, when you watch it now, it's <laughs> terrible. But when I was a oh. kid, when I was a kid, that movie was everything. When I saw it in theaters, I was so excited because I was nine or ten years old when I saw that movie. So I was just like, yes. And then i i got i grew a brain and then i was like oh this movie got awful what is it yeah what are you doing <laughs> happening? Like, so anyway yeah i loved the original trilogy growing up i've seen kingdom of the crystal skull but i have not watched the movies since probably 08 since crystal skull came out because i watched crystal skull and then i got it on dvd and i watched it for that whole year and then there's probably probably 2010 was the last time i watched any of them and then I watched a little bit of Temple of Doom when I was in high school on TV once, but like I kind of, it's always been a, it's always been in my heart, but I've never, I didn't go back and rewatch them until this week, and uh, mm -hmm. rewatching them, Raiders is the best adventure movie ever made. It's a masterpiece, I think. Mm -hmm. It's the perfect adventure movie ever made. Like if you want to make an adventure movie, just watch Raiders. And that's all the inspiration you need. Uh, it's an A plus. Uh, Temple of Doom. People hate. It's a lot of people. I love favorite. Temple of Doom. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of people's least favorite, or like, well, Kingdom of Crystal Skull, obviously, but of the trilogy, it wasn't received well when it came out. It wasn't received. It still isn't. It's still the weakling of the trilogy they call it. But uh, I've always loved it. It's always been my favorite. Short Round is my favorite side character in the Indiana Jones franchise. I love Short Round. My God, he's amazing. And he still holds... I've rewatched it. It still holds up. It's a near-perfect sequel. I give it an A. It's not an A+. Plus, it's an A for me because there is. I have a few nitpicks with it. But it is still great. And then The Last Crusade is an A too. But it's closer to an A- minus than an A+. Plus. And if I had to rank them by quality it'd go raiders one temple of doom two and then uh last crusade three which a lot of people say last crusade is like the best one and it's like the underrated one and everybody's like oh it's the best one it's got to be number one so that's probably blasphemy to a lot of people that i have it at three right but even favoritism wise if i had to go favoritism wise it's temple yes. of doom number one Raiders 2, 
uh, Last Crusade three, and uh, if I had to go favoritism wise, because Temple of Doom is just so iconic, and it's just it's just so fun, man. I just I watched them all this past week, and every night I watched one, and uh, I had so much fun rewatching Raiders and Temple. They're all, they're in my they're both in my top one hundred of all time. It's my it's my third favorite trilogy. I love it, and and it really helped on to watch them right before watching Dial of Destiny, because I watched Dial of Destiny before I rewatched them. Yeah, I missed, I missed a few references because it had been fifteen years, so my memory's not that great. So I've I missed references and I didn't really pick up on things. And then I rewatched them this week, and then I went and watched Dial of Destiny again, and that's definitely. The way to do it if you haven't watched Indiana Jones in a long time, definitely rewatch the original trilogy. You can skip absolutely, skip absolutely. <laughs> but uh, you can the original trilogy, yeah, because there's only one mention of Crystal Skull and Dial of Destiny, and it's about a son played by Shia LaBeouf. But uh, there's just a picture of him in the background, and he's he died in Vietnam. That's the only thing you need to know about him, and oh, uh. Yeah, they killed his character off. They're like, we can't have Shia LaBeouf in this Disney movie. (laughs) They kind of did his character dirty because they're like, oh, Indiana Jones says my son died in the war. Right. Style of Destiny. It's like, well, obviously that was. I kicked him to the curb. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, that's my history with it. What's your history with him? Uh. I, I my my list is kind of similar to yours, uh, but I, I am a huge Temple of Doom fan. Uh, Ra- Raiders was my favorite at first, but like as an adult, uh, Temple of Doom kind of spoke to me a little bit more, and so my my list had to change. So I swapped Temple of Doom for first place, and then second place would be Raiders, and then third would be Last Crusade. Uh, and Temple of Doom. It, the reason why it stood out to me more is just because like i was able to like i i kind of i kind of get it like I, I was able to follow along with the story like indy i was able to commentate like while the movie went on and like i'm nitpicking everything that shorty says because it's just like man this is a little bit stereotypical but uh, if, if nobody has to complain about it about how the way shorty talks or the, the certain lines he has in the movies then i'm okay with it too but it, it it was it was pretty entertaining uh i can't remember his love interest's name uh willie she was it willie yeah willie yeah so he he's always got he, there's a formula to indiana jones movies kind of like 007 a little bit where like indiana is like trying to mind his own business and then he finds out about a treasure as as usual uh random hot uh sidekick with him uh the first movie raiders i i loved i love his love interest there i can't remember Marianne. her name Marianne. she, she she's was the so, best she's the best one by far mm-hmm. it's just like dude indiana jones is such a player <laughs> and then uh his love it the, the whole unfolding of their relationship with him and Willie throughout Temple of Doom was hilarious. Cause yeah, it's... a lot of people hate her character because of how annoying she is, but that's the point. That's what she's supposed to be. Right. She She's just playing a role, and mm-hmm. that scene where he's in her hotel room, and he's like, 
he's 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 using all these metaphors for like sex. <laughs> it is it, 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 it's kind of smooth though, like for it to be written in that era and and, and and to not be completely cheesy. Like I was like, oh, wow, Indiana got some game. And yeah. <laughs> I was in the background like cheering him on, like, yeah, smash, smash, smash. <laughs> yeah. And I, I had a lot of fun with Temple of Doom. Um and then the villains of the movie. Uh, the formula for like Indiana Jones movie is like you got Nazis. these little grunts, yeah, Nazis and Raiders, and then you got like this mm-hmm. uh, Indian tribe that was Thuggy I can't Colts. pronounce Tahiko, yeah, they're the Thuggy Colts, Thuggy Colts, yeah. yeah. And dude was able had the power to like stick his finger in your heart and pull, your, pull heart your heart out. out. It was uh, that that kind of traumatized me as a kid, still beating in his hands. Yeah, I was like, whoa. You see some gruesome deaths in all the Indiana Jones movies, but that took the cape for me. Because Raiders and the Lost Ark, the first thing I remember from that movie is like Indiana seeing like the guy who fell for the booby trap and his spikes coming out of the front of his body. And it's like the blood looks kind of realistic. It's like, whoa, like whoever did uh, that prop. Do you realize, do you know who that is, that guy that died? Not off the top of the head. That's Doc Ock, Alfred Alfred Molina. Wow, young, <laughs> young. That is awesome. That's him, young. Yep, that's him. He, he's the first body dropped in that entire movie. I was like, dude, mm-hmm. and you forget how old these movies are because Harrison is young as hell in, in these movies, and mm-hmm. see him now, and he's just like wrinkled up and is eighty. Yeah, he's getting up there. And he's still acting and p- playing like the most prominent roles. Uh, I, I think they kind of use CGI on him whenever he goes into his Han Solo uh, roles. And then they're supposed to be doing something of that nature to him as well as Thunderbolt Ross for Marvel. So that's going to be interesting. But uh, outside of that, uh, the formula, like he's always getting into fist fights with like the biggest dudes in the, in the villains uh, team. He fought like the biggest Nazi dude, and he ended up getting chopped up by helicopter blade propellers. <laughs> and then the other dude gets like grounded up in, in mm-hmm. some kind of wheel. And I, I love it. Like, did, did they stick to that formula kind of when Dial of Destiny? Uh... Um, yep, there is a big. I will say they stuck it to the Nazis. This is the third time now, <laughs> no, the fourth time. The Nazis have been a villain. The Nazis yeah. are again the, the villain in this one. Every everyone is a the Nazi. I think is Crystal Skull is the Nazis too. So every one of the movies is Nazis except Temple of Doom. I think that's another reason why Temple of Doom stands out is because it's something different. But yeah. uh yeah, it's Nazis again, and it's uh there's a big dude and he doesn't die in any gruesome ways, but he uh and he indy is not even the one that kills him so but yeah it's uh it follows some but it does stuff to, it does different too which i can get yeah. into when we get more into the dial of destiny but uh yeah yeah because it's like from every indiana jones movie i remember it's just like indiana jones apparently punches hard as hell because his slow ass punches just packs a wallop on every dude he hits and he's able to just win fights that way. No martial arts or nothing. He'll just slug you 
like two times and then move on to the next. <laughs> it's just like yeah, you don't want to fight Indiana Jones at a bar before yeah. before he even pulls the whip out. Like ah oh, man, like uh-uh. I'm I'm good, Indiana. I don't want no smoke, sir. Yeah. Which Temple of Doom is? I mean, talking about the old ones, Temple of Doom is a little bit culturally insensitive. I will say. Yeah. Uh, towards Indian people. And even, I don't think Short Round is pushing it. I think Short Round's okay. Uh, but uh, I can see where some people might have an issue with that. But uh, you got to think, it was the 80s. Yeah. Different time, different. I mean, it gets away with it just because of the tone of the movie. Like, if it was more serious, because I see Temple of Doom, it's almost like a dark comedy. If you rewatch Temple of Doom, it is very, because people call it the darkest chapter of the Indiana Jones movies, but there's yeah. so much comedy in Temple of Doom. Like, it's hilarious. It really is. And it, the, the movie, it keeps the gruesome violence going. And it's just, I like how they go a little bit more in depth to like, because Indiana Jones is kind of like an expert on the occult. And they and they kind of dive into more occult stuff with that movies because it's the thuggy cult. Uh, they were kind of worship their own Satan and like all their sacrifices is for is for him and all that. And it, it makes Indiana Jones like step out of his archaeology side. And um I, I really I really appreciated that. And I would love to see like more movies like, where he's up against like people on different continents and like seeing like the different devils that they worship and and doing stuff like that but we probably won't get that now because yeah, uh, disney think, just gave indiana the axe yeah dial destiny is for sure <laughs> yeah but I, I, that's my favorite aspect of indiana jones for sure yeah like i i think that's a common thread among people who like horror I, it seems like horror fans Temple of Doom is always their favorite. Yeah. And I mean, me and you, I know we both like horror, so that could be... Because Temple of Doom does have the most horror-like elements to it. I mean, Raiders does too, though, because, I mean, people's faces get melted off by ghosts, so... And Raiders, yeah. technically. So maybe that's why, but, like, we like them more, but... uh, Yeah, Dial of Destiny does not really have horror elements, I will say that. There is one scene with eels that is pretty good... Because you know he does, he hates snakes. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's a scene with eels that is really well done, I will say. But uh, other than that, it's not very. It's more of the Last Crusade route, where it's more about the Nazis and trying to family, and then more it has a family dynamic because uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge plays his goddaughter. It's oh. so he has a goddaughter. It's some guy that he used to be friends with, daughter, and uh, so it's kind of uh, he's kind of playing a fatherly role in this one. And uh, she even has a short round type character in uh, the character of Teddy. She has a little young boy that's basically short round 2.0, and yeah, uh, nowhere near as good, but Mm-mm. still, still a well developed character, though. And that's I guess that's a great segue into Dial of Destiny. Is that is the best thing about Dial of Destiny? Is all of the characters, except some of the like the main villain, Mads Mikkelsen, is great. Some of the side villains aren't very well developed. They're just dumb Nazis. But I mean, you can expect that from a 
Indiana Jones movies. But uh, when it comes to the goddaughter, Indy, and the main characters, uh, I don't think they could have done the character development any better. Like this is, this is by far what they had to get right. They had, they got right. Is what I'll say with this movie. What they had to get right, they got right. They had to end Indiana Jones storyline on a great note. They did it. They, they kept it in tone with this character completely. Like, he, if you go watch the old trilogy, he feels like the same character from the original trilogy. He feels like Harrison Ford does not miss a beat in the role. Uh, he feels the same. There's still the same through line. And it's kind of it's similar to Last Crusade. And at the end of the movie, he doesn't end up with the artifact, but he ends up with realizing that the people in his life are more important than these grails he chase, he's chasing. Yeah, and that was kind of the theme of the Last Crusade. So it kind of has a less. It's very similar to the Last Crusade in that, and it has very similar through lines through the plot of the first three to this one, where it's like you could you could literally just go from the you could just skip Crystal Skull entirely and go right to this one, and you would you wouldn't know anything different besides the one reference to his son, and that's it. Yeah, that that, that that that's definitely good to hear because Matt Mickelson is such he is one the greatest bad guy actors that I know by far because he I would I wouldn't say he's like top five but he's definitely like top 10 15 for me um, yeah he does what he's he's smart and he's basic and he has when I when I look back at dial destiny it has a lot of elements of the best movies in it it has it has the last crusade element of family it has kind of it has a lot of it has quite a few temple of doom references which i love it yes. references temple of doom quite a bit so you'll like that it has a lot of temple of doom callbacks that are not forced whatsoever they're like perfectly woven into this. that's another thing they call back to the original trilogy so beautifully like there's so many references to especially raiders and temple of doom are the two they call back to most yeah. And it's so well done and woven into the storyline. And, uh, yeah, so that was great. And uh, Raiders, the villain Raiders is kind of not the short Nazi guy, but the, the French guy that always, oh, you know. Oh, Bellic? Like, yeah. Like his so, rival? Yeah. Yeah, the one, you know, he always, like, in the end he gets the thing, and then he's right there when he comes out to, yeah. like, take it from him. That's what Mads Mikkelsen basically does in Dial of Destiny. <laughs> like he's always right there when Indy gets something. So like they kind of took that from they take base like some of the best elements from the original trilogy <laughs> and put it into Dial of Destiny. That's and awesome. That's what I'll say about Dial of Destiny is you can't ask for a better send off character wise for Indiana Jones. Like they could I could not have seen a better way for them to end the Indiana Jones franchise and character than what they did with Dial of Destiny. Like, it is... It's so... Tr it stays true to the original trilogy. It stays true to the character. Harrison Ford never misses a beat. He still feels like Indiana Jones. There's no oddness there. There is great elements and great callbacks that are woven into the story that don't feel like member berries or like something like oh remember this like they never do that it's very woven into the storyline where you like it's a blink and you'll miss it reference but if you love the movies you'll catch it and love it it's like they did all of that perfectly and it has yeah. a very and with that because i mean james mango directed this who directed logan legend so with, yeah so with that 
I feel he was the best director for this film because he was able to end Indy in the best way. And I'll just, since you're not afraid of, I guess you don't care about spoilers. Nah. They don't, they don't kill him. Indy stays alive. So that's good. You think they're going to kill him, but then they, you think he's going to die, but they pull a fast one on you. And then he, uh, he ends up living at the end. And it ends with him grabbing his hat, and I mean, and and he actually ends back with Marion because him and Marion are getting a divorce in this one, or separated. And it ends yeah. with him kissing. It ends with him kissing Marion and them getting back together. So that's good. So it ends in the best way possible. Uh, it, and the ending is actually a callback to Raiders. So. Yeah. So they brought back the best love interest. Basically, that's that's awesome. Yeah. She's only in the movie for about five minutes. She's mentioned in the movie more than she's actually in the movie. But uh, she oh. comes in at the end, and there's a great Raiders reference there. And uh, they, like I said, they they could have not done a better job ending Indiana Jones and his storyline and the franchise better than what they did with Dial of Destiny. So that's all my positives. Great character development. Great action, action scenes. My issues comes from the disney thing disney it comes from the cgi the visual effects and a lot of what disney <coughs> reputation yeah it feels it doesn't feel like they ever filmed outside on a real set like it feels so like the first opening 20 30 minutes is the throwback scene when he gets the first half of the dial when he first meets uh the villain uh Mads, i'll just call him mads mickelson i know his name but it's like a german name and it's hard to pronounce so i'll just say mads mickelson and uh he so it that's good but they do a deep fake you know they because they have to de-age him so and it, it is still, we're still not there yet with technology and film. We're still not there yet. Like it is, it is very, it's, uh, it's too uncanny. It's like they did it with, it's so weird that Marvel could do it with Nick Fury and Captain Marvel. Like that was not uncanny to me. But yeah, some reason they could not do it with Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones because they, for the first 20 to 30 minutes, it is him, a younger Indy. Like it's him in the forties. So, but it's so uncanny. Every time you look at his face, you're like, Oh my, that's a, somebody. And they just put his face on it. Like it, it is, so we're not there yet. So that took it out, out a little bit. And some of the ash, action is kind of cliche and it doesn't feel as risk taking. I will say, I feel like because it's owned by Disney, they played it a little too safe in some ways with the action and with the characters they didn't go they could have gone darker than they did and uh i don't know if you know this with disney movies you probably have but uh disney movies always have this glossy effect to them yeah it's, always, it's very glossy very matted and glossy color grading like there's no film grain it doesn't feel and it doesn't feel like it was shot with like a real camera like a, somebody was there there's always something like there's even a scene where it's just them outside like you could shoot somebody outside and it feels like on a gigantic set and it, it feels like it's just completely cgi blue sky 
and I think, yeah. they, I think they actually filmed it like in outside, but the color, the color grading and they do on it is just, it's so glossy and it's so matte. It just, you can tell it has that Disney feeling where you're just like, uh, like I, it, it doesn't have the raw grittiness feeling that the, like the first three of the trilogy have. It doesn't have like, yeah. you don't feel like people are there with cameras filming this. You don't feel like there's a stunt double there fighting. You don't feel the filmmaking in it. And that's my biggest issue with Dial of Destiny is this visual effects and you just that Disney glossiness and Yeah, Disney does not have the best reputation. I think I think a part of that is probably like this thing that all these different studios are doing with their visual effects team, like giving them ridiculous deadlines and like if they don't make it, they'll just take whatever they'll accept. And it's just like it makes you feel like Indiana Jones might have been rushed. So I, 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 I could, I could let them, I could let Indiana Jones pass for that because this, the, the special effects back then, like for Raiders of the Ark, like it was so, I felt like it was so bare minimum, but it was perfect. Mm-hmm. And like when you see them like doing like a car chase or something like that, you, you don't really pay too much attention to like the green screen or whatever the heck is going on. Oh, uh, yeah. One of the worst green screen effects that I've seen lately was definitely in the one of them was in the blackening. <laughs> it's like they, they they were on a road trip to get to the, the log cabin in the woods. Everything behind them just looked like the car was stationary and, and, and but everything behind them is moving. So it's just like I, I it's 2023. I thought like film studios would be beyond that. And then I've seen the the latest jeepers creepers movie and they did the same thing with their like their car scenes and it's just like god man why are these studios like this i couldn't do it with the new jeepers i saw the trailer for that movie i couldn't i love jeepers creepers i couldn't do it i I applaud you i applaud you for getting through that because i could not do it it's so bad i I couldn't make the third one is so bad yeah i couldn't Jeepers Creepers Reborn, I I think it was called for the fourth one, and it, it is just like the, the script is so out of place, and how they, they they redid the creeper in general, and it's just like why did you do that? Like I, I, I feel that. like yeah, you you want to give like new screenwriters and new directors their chance, but I would not let them work on Legends. Like don't 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 let them do. Like James Mango was perfect to take over on Indiana Jones because he ended Logan and the, the whole Wolverine franchise with perfection. I, he, I was, he handled, yeah, he handled the Wolverine franchise better than freaking Brian. What's his name? The guy, the guy that, yeah, he. Yeah. I think he was the one that did the first three Wolverines, and Mango took over for Logan, and then Spielberg did like the first three Indianas, and Mango. Did Mango do? I don't think Mango did uh, Crystal Skull, but he definitely that did Dial of Destiny. That was Spielberg too. Spielberg God. did Crystal Skull. Yeah, I don't know how that happened either. How, how did he fumble the bag on that? I don't know. <laughs> like, George Lucas. On, George Lucas was a part of it, though. You know, George Lucas. He's not always a hit. He misses. Yeah, he definitely got some misses in his uh, inventory. And, and Spielberg, like the first two Indiana Jones movies, like my top two Spielberg movies ever. So I, I don't know how you go. Yeah. Like, how do you go from that to 
Crystal Skull. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. I, I I won't watch Crystal Skull ever again if I just yeah. <laughs> I've seen it like, enough. Like, thank you, James, for taking over Dial of Destiny, man. Because yeah. I, I and I love. I will always love James Mango because Wolverine and Indiana Jones were two of my favorite guys growing up as a kid. So like yeah. those are my those are my heroes growing up. Hugh Jackman is Wolverine, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. Two of my most favorite. I always had toys of them. Two of my most favorite growing up. So for him to come in and end both of those characters' stories on the best way possible, I'm always gonna love James Mango for that, for sure. He's he's a beast. Yeah, like he's, I, he's good. And I, I saw his resume the other day, and like he he got some more hits under his belt too. So I I, I expect him to. If he if he hasn't surpassed Wes Anderson in popularity yet, he will. Yeah, I mean he he did the Three Ten to Yuma remake with Christian Bale and uh, Russell Crowe. That's in my top fifty favorite movies of all time. That's I don't even like westerns that much, but that is such a good movie. Yeah, he did one more too that I cannot remember off the top of my head. He did probably... uh, Copland, Girl Interrupted. What else did he do? Um. This going to bother me. He actually did the Wolverine. He, yeah, he, he did. did he, he did one of he did one of the Wolverines, didn't he? Yeah, he did the one before Logan, the one in 2013, the Wolverine. Yeah. That one's pretty and good I like too. that one. Yeah. That one's not bad. I didn't I didn't have too many complaints about um uh, the Wolverine tri- or series in general. Uh a lot of people hated it. I I didn't care for like most of them, but I, I I made sure my ass was in theater watching them when all of them came out. Um, let me see. So his IMDb. Oh, he did a Identity, which is a very that's a Jacob's Film Perspectives recommendation right right now, right here. If you have not seen Identity by James Mango, go watch it. If you love a crime thriller, horror movies, any kind of thriller, like weird type. Watch Identity. Go watch Identity. It's a very underrated crime thriller that nobody okay. ever knows about. So he did Heavy in 1995, and he did Walk the Line in 2005. Oh, Walk the Line. I forgot about that one. Yeah. That's, that's those, a great biopic. I was like, dude, Mangles, he, 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 if he's not a goat, he will become one easily. I, re- I respect him a lot in this new generation of directors. And he's he's not even all that new. He's 90s yeah he's not. late 90s coming coming up yeah but, uh, but dial of destiny like i said <coughs> i want to i'll sing it's when i watched it in theaters the first time i will say if you're not a true like if you if you're not like if you don't love indiana jones or like you didn't just watch the movie and it's been a long time like me because the first time i watched it i was very iffy on it it was like a B, B minus. I was just like, "Mm." I was just like, this is not. But then when I went back this past week and rewatched the original trilogy and then went back and saw it, it pays so much respect to those movies. And it, it carries, it's just amazing how it took a character from the eighties and it finished him in the most, I couldn't think of a more perfect way to end it in the Indiana Jones franchise than what they did in Dial of Destiny. So that's why I give it my grade now is a B plus absolutely still not, still not great because of 
some issues I have with it, but it still is really good. And as far as the character of Indiana Jones, you could have not done better. My only issues are with the opening scene because we're still not there with the visual effects. It is so, it's uncanny looking. Like it's just, you, you can never, none of the action scenes stand out. That's one of my problems with it. None of the action scenes really stand out except the ending. The ending has a great one, which I'll talk about in a second. But none of the all the action scenes are very formulaic. The way it's shot is very formulaic. Uh, it has the Disney glossy CGI matte over it, so it takes away from that raw film grittiness of the original Indiana Jones movies. Uh, let's see. Some of the characters could have been a little bit better. Whereas Mads Mikkelsen's villain could have been a little bit stronger, I will say. He could have been written better. He was good for what he had, but he could have been. He's not. He's probably the third. I'd put him as the third best villain in the franchise. Mm -hmm. After Raiders and Temple of Doom. I think he's better than the villains in Last Crusade, but not Raiders or Temple of Doom. And uh, But other than that. I'm trying to think, even like the kid they try to make. I, I, Teddy is his name. He is really good. He's a young kid. He he's a, he's a really the first the first time I watched it, it kind of he kind of annoyed me. Second time he grew on me. There is a few pointless plot points in the film that do not need to be there. There's the whole thing with the CIA and the CIA agent that takes up about 20, 25 minutes of the runtime that you could completely cut and would do nothing to the movie whatsoever. It would do absolutely, it would not hurt the movie. Like this movie did not have to be, it's two and a half hours. It did not, because if you go back, Raiders is hour 55, Temple of Doom's an hour 56, and Last Crusade is at, right at two hours. So like, yeah. and this one, I feel like they tried to, <coughs> follow the trend that most movies are trying to do nowadays where it's two and a half hours or three hours like they're trying to just it's like you can get a, you can make a great movie in two hours like absolutely great or two hours or under like you can you can do that you don't have to make it two and a half hours but uh so yeah so because of all those issues with the visual effects and all that it's b plus i can't put it in the great ter territory it's really good almost great if it wasn't for the disney glossy matte look where they completely took away like i mean all of the action scenes they just look so like on a set and they just like the they they just feel so staged and they just it looks just it doesn't it's not intrigue it's not good to look at like besides the the ending the ending is really pretty to look at but besides the, the third act it's not that pretty of a movie to look at and yeah. that's one thing about the original trilogies it, great cinematography and it just yeah. isn't it's not there in dial of destiny so the problem is not with the story at all for me besides well i say that but besides the one storyline the two no the one yeah. that could have been cut completely with the cia but uh and a little bit more character development with mads mickelson's villain but indy what they had to do perfect was indiana jones and that's what they did so that was good. And since you're not afraid of spoilers, they do something that I didn't think would work because Crystal Skull was pushing it with the aliens. 
Yeah. Well, this one they travel. They actually do time travel. The very end, they travel all the way back to Rome in the early 200s, and they meet Archimedes, the actual like Archimedes from the old Roman times. And during the Roman, I think it's the siege of Syracuse, and it uh, but it works, and it it they're all outside, and the CGI is actually pretty good on it and it, there's like roman soldiers you see and fighting and us uh it's pretty good but there's and there's a great scene with indy because you know indy's a history buff and like he he's actually there at one of the things he studied all his life and he's actually like witnessing it so he wants to stay there and it's like it's so fitting for his character because he, he get he got to go back in time and see one of history's great events that he's been studying all his life like it gave him that and you can just see harrison ford i mean it looks like indiana jones he looks like a child like witnessing a roller coaster like it's like amazing yeah the the acting there was so good where like you can tell like man he's just like floored because like he literally went back in time to rome ancient rome and saw one of the things he's been studying for years and uh they handled it so well and it feels believable the way they write it in the story it feels because the thing about indiana jones is there always is a supernatural element there always is something that's out of this world but it's they always find the right line to tell with it they always know how to keep it realistic enough and Chris mm-hmm. lost that completely but mm. and you with time travel they would lose it too but they, the way it's I will give the writers credit there the way it's written it fits like you don't feel it's out of place it fits with the storyline it fits with the rest of the trilogy or the classic trilogy it fits with the whole franchise and it's just a really good send off for Indiana Jones by the end of it really that was a risk worth taking basically yeah oh yeah it was it's definitely a big risk I can see where I can just imagine the writers and James Mango just thinking about like, can we really? Because like, I even asked my friend. I we, I went and saw it with a few friends last night that hadn't seen it, and I even asked them. I was like, do you guys think they're gonna go back in time? And like, I they both told me they thought they think they're gonna attempt it, but they don't think they're actually gonna do it. Yeah, and they, they kind of set you up for that the whole movie where they kind of keep hinting at it and hinting at it, but like, it's you don't really believe they're going to do it, but then they actually do it. It's like, Oh wow. We're actually doing this. And like, at yeah. first, like Oh God, please don't, please don't go. Off the <laughs> it was scary. The first time I was like, Oh my God, uh, I got crystal skull flashback when I saw it the first time. I was like, Oh my God, please don't. <laughs> yeah. But they don't, they don't, they keep it. They, they keep it in continuity with the franchise. They keep it realistic enough where you actually believe that they could do this. And it's, and I love time travel, so that speaks to. I love anything uh, movies with time travel, so I mean, I'm gonna like it. So maybe that helped too, because I always will love a time travel element. But uh, they did it right, and it's a great send off. Yeah, and I, I love how they keep it going with every artifact that uh, Indiana Jones goes after, because like the the arc itself, like it, it's it's not supposed to be believable, but like after so many different warnings throughout the movie like if you like you if you mess with this arc there's a lot of death that's going to come come with it so they they show the consequences for messing with the arc and then they do it again with temple of doom 
and like the different stones that you have to sacrifice people and Indiana only had to get one and take it back to a village. Um, and then last crusade, the, uh, the artifact that he was looking for was also, it, it, it fit. Um, so I, 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 with little knowledge of what the dial destiny destiny is and just based off seeing trailers only, uh, I, I would expect a time travel scene to definitely be placed properly in this movie. It's, it's just, I, I know a lot of, a lot of people are very harsh on criticism towards time travel. Mm -hmm. I'm open to it because that's the artifact that Indiana Jones is after anyway. So it, it all should be forgiven. And what they do with it, they don't, they don't dive into it enough where there has to be rules. Like, cause you know, that's the problem with time travel movies is every time travel movie has its own rules, basically like a lot back to the future, a lot copy back to the future's rules a lot of the time. And I mean, like nobody knows really what time travel. Cause I mean, you know, it's a out there sci-fi concept. So like you can't really be wrong, but you can be wrong at the same time. Cause it can be like off putting, but with this, they don't dive into the time travel enough because it's such a shock when it happens and it, it so little changes there, but there's just little subtle things that they do that on rewatch I caught, I didn't catch it the first time I watched it, but there's on rewatch. There's things that they put in before they go back in time that you can tell that they're going to go back in time later in the movie. Like there's little things like they find Archimedes body and he has a watch on <coughs> and watches weren't made for like, a thousand years after Archimedes died and somehow he has a watch on and Indiana Jones is like freaked out. He's like, how does he have this? And then it kind of, and then explains it later on in the movie, how he has these things from the future and his on his tomb or whatever. And it's, and it's so, and it's done so well and so subtly and so gracefully that it, it works. It works. Yeah, that 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 that's my that, that's that's how I uh like time travel handled in movies for sure. Like they, they don't uh, go back and try to and even and even they kind of like uh they kind of fight against uh a lot of the time because Indy wants to stay and uh his goddaughter's there with them and she's like no you're you're, you're not staying and she brings him back to the future and uh she's like if you and he's like why didn't you let me stay where she's like well for one you would have destroyed you would have destroyed history if you if you would have stayed back there you would have messed with time and like they kind of so they kind of go out of their own way to kind of be like hey we're not going to do anything with time travel too crazy with time travel we're not going to try to mess with time or anything here yeah we're just it served it served as a way for indiana jones to finally to see something that puts him in so much awe that it puts you in awe because you're seeing your childhood hero in awe of something else and you know yeah. you're you're in awe of indiana jones and indiana jones is in awe of something so it creates the emotional element because you're like he's looking around like a little kid like watching the romans fight and it's like it's just crazy because you're like you're just so happy for him you're like man he finally got to see something he's been studying for years he get he's right there in person he's visiting it in person like he gets to see it and uh but then we bring him back to the it ends we bring him back to the i think it's it's 1969 this movie is set and he gets marion comes in they get back together and he just it ends with him grabbing his hat and then that's it 
Yeah, can you imagine like the type of cliffhanger you have to end this movie on if he went back in time and screwed with history? Like, and then I was like, I was worried that because he was like because he gets I will say he gets shot in the movie I think in his right shoulder or left shoulder one of them and he's laying there on the ground while he's watching <laughs> Roman's fight and his goddaughter looked at him he's like bleeding out a little bit and he's like just let me stay here he said. I don't have anything to live for in the future. Just let me stay because, you know, Marion's lived, left him. And that, that, that's another thing, too. There's an emotional element there because his son died in Vietnam. Yeah. And because of, the, because of that, him and Marion got separated because he didn't know how to comfort her. And uh, he feels like he has nothing to live for. So when he goes back in the future, he feels like he's in his element because he's at a, at a historic event. And he's like, this is where I want to die because I don't have anything to live for. But then when we bring him back to the future, Marion comes back and he has his goddaughter to live for and Stala from the first movie and the third movie, his buddy from the, he comes back and it, and it's basically showing that like fortune and glory, like they say in temple of doom, like relics and artifacts and all that isn't everything. Like the people around you is important too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you need to live in the moment and be with people that care about you. And like, there are people that care about you. And like, it ends on such a happy, feel good note for Indiana Jones. And like, it makes you, it makes you want to think about like all the people in your life that you care about too. And it's just like, it's just a really good heartwarming ending that actually isn't cheesy. It isn't cliche. It just works. Yeah. It's like a friendly reminder. Like, even if you feel like you have nothing worth living for or no motivation to go forward like you, you just stick around long enough you'll find it like it'll yeah. come to you yeah that's that's what i like about it because it's showing it, even indiana jones is struggling with his own mortality and his own life and he's worried about what he's what he has in his life even indiana jones you know so like yeah i think there's a great message there yeah, even Indiana Jones himself is is not safe from loneliness. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah, I, I definitely. I, I'm looking forward to seeing this this week. Uh, I'm going to see No Hard Feelings on Tuesday, and I'll try to squeeze in Dollar Destiny uh, sometime after that. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to see this movie now because it's just like a great closing to it. Uh, I honestly think. This is the movie that should have ended the Indiana Jones franchise because Harrison's yeah. getting up there. You never know. We might turn on the news next week, God forbid, and Harrison's gone. And at least the yeah. series is done and we, we don't have to worry about anybody replacing him as Indiana. So, yeah, I thank Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for helping because that was such a great experience seeing it in theaters as a little kid. But like, if we could erase that movie from time, I would erase that movie from time because this is like if you just went from Last Crusade to this, it would have been so much better. I just and I feel like, but the, I think part of the reason they made this movie is because everybody hated Crystal Soul. <laughs> like I really do think that. Like I feel like they they're like we need to finish his character off better than we did because they kind of they do finish off his character in Crystal Skull they end it in a way where you could be like oh that's the end of it so like i feel like they came back and like we need to do it right and they what they needed to get right they got right like i said just 
the uncanny valley with the de-aging is not it's not good disney please stop with your glossy matted color grading like there's people like make it feel like a real film don't make it feel like they're on set the whole movie and like just have some vitality to you like have some vitality to the filmmaking like don't just have it just it just feels very flat like the action scenes are just like basic action scenes it's just there's only one cool scene where they go down to get a map that shows them where the other half of the dial of the destiny is and there's a bunch of eels that come out and there's a cool scene where that hat that's a cool action scene but other than that the rest are so there's not like a mem one memorable action scene in that movie that yeah that's, that's where i have to go with the b plus and not put it in the a category because it just doesn't have a memorable action scene the visual effects aren't the greatest and it's just it doesn't hold a candle to the filmmaking techniques of the original trilogy right and honestly enough like disney's making so much money why would you not invested into making your movies come out better yeah and it's i mean like, i feel sorry for the visual effects workers too yeah. because i mean i don't want to that's another i, I want to make that clear i'm not dogging on the visual effects workers because i know they're working <coughs> overtime. it's completely disney's fault they probably mm -hmm. pushed they probably pushed them so much and like hey you got to get this done and it's not james mangold's fault he's the best director they could have picked for this movie by far it's just the the mouse the mickey mouse was raining terror on these people probably and it's just it's unfortunate because while i i it's a really good movie and i do i i can't say i love it because of the issues i have with it and it but i do love how they ended it yeah i just see what could have been at the same time where i'm like if disney if you would just allow filmmakers to make their films and let the visual effects artists have their time and not push them somewhere like you could have an another a plus you could have another raiders but like they just they just won't do it they gotta make that money they're worried about the money it's like you it's like you could make billions if you just wait take your time like you you're exchanging billions for millions at this point because you're rushing the movie out and selling it based on the name but at the same time, if the quality doesn't keep the audience entertained, then you just you you, you cut your profit in half. So it's and that's I, how I couldn't. That's how I mean we're seeing it now in the box office. We're seeing it now with the Flash. We're seeing it with I think over half of like the big movies that were supposed to do good have bombed. Like mm -hmm. even Dial of Destiny isn't doing well. Like even Indiana Man. Jones Dial of Destiny is not doing its projected numbers. It's going below more. like right that's the new conversation I've been seeing lately on social media is that Indiana Jones isn't performing well at the box office either. So it's like people are starting to get tired of it. They're starting you people that go to the movies are getting tired of the forced rush stuff and then there's also the streaming aspect where you know the movie's gonna be on streaming in a month so why even go to the theater why even do yeah. that like i just it's killing the movie experience for sure you can't 
be a movie theater experience. I don't, you just you can't replicate that. Like you can have like I have a 4K TV, I have a sound system, but like it's still not the same. It's still not the same. Like a movie theater is a movie theater, and you can't replace that. And I feel like we sh we as a just everybody should go to the movies more and support them more and uh, support filmmakers more honestly. Because like and visual effects artists and like now with the writer strike, it's it it's in the box office bombing lately. It's looking really grim in the film industry right now, which is scary for I mean me and you because I mean that's yeah, it's like that's that, that's that's our place to be in the future. That's the yeah, place that we want to be. be. So yeah, it's scary to see you know the writer strike happening and the visual effects artists being just abused and. You know, they came out about visual effects artists and even sp across the Spider-Verse were being bullied, and which is sad to hear because it's such a great movie. It is. And it's just like, <coughs> if people would just believe more in the power of film and they would, and, I know you got to make money, but the money will come if you just allow p filmmakers to make films. I mean, look back in the 70s and the 80s, with like when Spielberg was coming up with Jaws and like Martin Scorsese and all of them like coming up, they made tons of money. Jaws was the first blockbuster, and yeah. that and that Steven Spielberg was a no name when that Jaws came out. He was nothing, and it was the first block. They called Jaws the first blockbuster for a reason because it destroyed the box office literally. Like everybody went and saw that movie, and it's because it was it's a masterpiece. It's a great film, and he made it on a lower budget. And he actually shot it, and like, there's used real effects, and it's like, you can make money. Just go, just see what they were doing in the '70s and '80s. I just don't, and I, yeah. I don't want to. I'm not gonna, because I, 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 I don't want to ruin my chances for working for Disney or nothing. Because you know, I work, <laughs> but I'm just saying, come on, Disney, like, respect yeah. the filmmaking process more. Yeah, respect your whole production staff, man. Because we yeah. we are the heart and soul of the films that come out, and then the people who go and watch these movies are like the heart and soul of basically the entertainment industry in general. Like we, the entertainment yeah. industry would die with, without them. So you're going to keep theaters. I mean, you're going to keep pissing fans off. You're going to find out the consequences like the hard, hard ways. So, I mean, DC's learning it right now. Warner Brothers yeah. with the Flash. Yeah, I think, I think they're. I, I heard last like they're projected to lose like two hundred million or something. Or no, yeah, two hundred million or something. And because of just like all the marketing they did too, it's just like Man. if you made a better movie with better visual effects and you didn't rush it and you had a and you actually when the star of your movie was causing problems if he would have just pulled the hammer that's another thing that's so weird like warner brothers didn't do that to him but like james gunn got canceled over old tweet a uh, old tweet too and it doesn't make like how does ezra miller get away with kidnapping and kidnapping an 18 year old girl i think it was mm -hmm. or something running it was off grooming too yeah, yeah grooming running off with the girl and stuff but James Gunn can't make a joke on Twitter without being fired by Disney. Like it just, it doesn't make sense, man. It's strange because it's 
they're they're on the fence about Jonathan Majors and all this situation. That's and, another like, one. Like Jonathan, that's such a. I know it's Disney, so Warner Brothers is a little more adult than Disney, so I can see where it would be a little different because Disney has to keep that childlike brand to them. But mm -hmm. I mean, at the same time, if Ezra Miller can get away with what he's getting away with, then you should treat everybody. <laughs> Jonathan Majors should get another shot too if you're going to do that. I mean, if if it turned out that what he did was true, then uh, he's a piece of shit and we right. should like okay he's a piece of shit and okay recast him i'm fine with that because i don't want i don't want to watch a piece of shit in a movie but like if he was accused and it turns out to be false then like pay him back like get him like allow him to like actually still have a career like yeah, because when the allegations came out, even the talent agency that he was with abandoned him. And it's just like, damn, at least wait till he's guilty first. Like, uh, it's, it's just a mixed bag. Like, they, they'll drop Jonathan Majors. He, he's lost, like, endorsements and all sorts of stuff when the allegations came out. But Ezra had, like, charges, like, actual charges against him. And uh, actual people, proof he did it, too like people filing restraining orders against him is he's just like i want you guys to enjoy flash because it's going to be the best superhero movie of all time this is like i wouldn't even let that come out my mouth knowing ezra miller is the main character like i wouldn't i would never say that yeah uh, yeah controversy con the type of controversy that comes between disney and warner brothers makes me want to start my own studio and, and just outdo them. That's why that's, I love A24. A24 is the future. Stuff like A24, that's that's why I love... I mean, now they're bigger than they, they used to. They used to be indie. I mean, they're starting to become not indie anymore because of how famous they're getting. But they're still... They let filmmakers make films. And look at A24. They're a thriving production company. They're not struggling in money at all. And they make mm. these weird, out of balance film sometimes that nobody everybody hates and like they still make money i mean because they you they're letting filmmakers because filmmakers want to be with them because they let their filmmakers tell the vision they want to tell exactly it's just like you got a gang of good horror movies and all that like if you have a vision a24 kind of trusts you with your vision and lets you do your thing mm -hmm. and you, some of these heavy hitters like well, I wouldn't call Blumhouse a heavy hitter. Uh, Blumhouse is pretty is pretty veteran. It's been around for a little bit, but it's also compared to like Disney and Warner Brothers, it's nowhere near their league yet. But I, I can I can respect some of these lower, almost indie level studios and and how they treat their uh, production staff. Like another one is uh, another one that's basically the new A twenty four is it's called Neon is coming up. I don't know if you've heard of Neon. I but uh, they made a, a pig Nicholas Cage a few years back, which is a great movie. Uh, they made Spencer with Christian Sturt. Uh, what else? They made a couple of similar well-known films, kind of well-known, kind of not. But like, they're a great company too. That's just coming up. It's like there's other companies out there <coughs> that are making money and letting filmmakers do what they want to do. And I mean, yeah, they're not able to give as big as budgets, but you don't need big budgets to tell a great story. You really don't. 
like Indiana Jones dialed Destiny probably would have done better if they had less if they used less money. Yeah, because with Disney type of with Disney money, you could just use drones to like capture landscape shots and all that. Like, yeah, honestly, like Raiders of the Ark was like it's probably my favorite cinematography out of the whole trilogy because they captured the land around them so well. And even if you had, yeah, and the, the sets look good, like you could tell stuff was fake now as an adult from like a director's perspective but like as a kid watching that you're just like he's really in the jungle and, and the jungle looks good so I, mm-hmm. I i really appreciate the the effort they put into it yeah it's just respect the respect filmmaking absolutely if you but if you if you leave with anything from the podcast respect filmmaking Absolutely. Give give your filmmakers their 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 space to to let their vision grow. And for Indiana Jones and Dial Destiny, definitely go see it. Definitely go see it. Definitely. I mean, but I know I named the issues that really bothered me, and I I said it's really good, and I don't love it, but I still am very happy with what I got. I will I'll rewatch it. It's it's uh, it's definitely one to rewatch. It's not one you're gonna forget. It's a memorable. It's memorable. It's good. They end the character the right way. They end Indy the right way, and it's great to know that we don't have to worry about his legacy or the legacy of the character being tarnished because it's it's over. It's and it's they did it the best they could. And shout out to James Mango for being a goat director. Shout out to Jimmy the Goat. Yes, sir. So that that's all I got for Indiana Jones. Um, I I, I do want to put this out there that um, well, we're, y'all can expect to see like Barbie and Oppenheimer in the next review too. Uh, if Jacob wants to, you could do Sound of Freedom too. I I highly encourage that for everyone. Sound that's of probably going to be yeah. I want to ask you real quick about that one because, like, I see like so many people around here have been going to see that, and like everybody's been talking about it. I was like, "What?" Like, I saw you can people are going to see it for free and stuff. Like, what is the deal with that? Yeah, they ha- they even have their own website too. It's like angel dot com slash freedom, and it's like a it's like a whole movement against child trafficking, and that's what this whole movie is about. Is like oh. trying to raise money and awareness against like. Uh, it's like child trafficking rings and all that and trying to end slavery. And, and uh, I, I I don't know like where exactly everything connects and goes, but like the movie is, is based on a true story about like a special agent um, who kind of handled uh, like pedophil- pedophiles in, in the United States. But then like two kids in particular got kidnapped and they were put into like a sex trafficking ring out in Colombia and so he went out of his jurisdiction to go get those kids back. And it's such a crazy story. And it is all true. Um, how he took down, like he took down at least two or three rings before he retired. And and his life was on a line 24 seven. But like you watch that movie. Um, I'm not going to do like a, a spoiler review or anything of that nature. I'm just going to give you guys like a synopsis, but um uh, 
when you sit in that theater, like there's going to be scenes where you're going to like see like pedophiles and you're going to get really pissed off. And then when he rescues the kids and you see the kids reunite with their parents, you're probably going to cry too. So it's, 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 it's a high level, probably under marketed movie right now, but it's going to get marketed correctly. So they used the website to, so you could buy tickets for charity. So other people can get on the website and use those tickets and go see it themselves. Cause they're trying mm -hmm. to get max participation and all the money that this movie makes will probably go towards the efforts. So it, it, it's incredible. I see. I thought I was completely off about that movie. I thought it was a Christian movie. <laughs> Shoot. He, he has this one catchphrase in a movie that throws that probably, I don't know if it's in the trailer or not, but he says all God's children are not for sale. And uh, I think the name of the movie Sound of Freedom is a line that they drop in the movie, too. But those are like the two main lines, like the background music, the score, like is a choir of kids uh, singing um, God's Children Are Not For Sale in Spanish. And it's, it gives you goosebumps when they sing it. it it's, it's so crazy. Like, I, I would go back and see it again, but I'm trying not to get like rage mode like i'm gonna go punch a pedophile in the face type like it, it, it's a crazy movie and the fact that it's raising awareness for people and like we need to prioritize like what our issues are in america i i, I highly respect it it might be a, a contender for top of 2023 oh man i'll have to check it out yeah. but uh, yeah you guys get to the theaters check that out um you, you you may see it in the the next episode sometime this month so it'll be jacob's film perspectives episode four you guys and will then, be ready for barbie and oppenheimer because i'm seeing that i've been looking forward to those two movies for two years now christopher <coughs> nolan is my favorite director i love greta gerwig ryan gosling is my favorite actor i love margot robbie I'm mm -hmm. going to I'm I'm watching both of those opening weekend easily. So and I'm gonna be watching it probably more than once because I'm just Oppen I'm more excited for Oppenheimer because Christopher Nolan is my favorite director. And he apparently he used no visual effects. Have you seen that? I had no clue. Apparently it's come out he's he's used zero visual effects in this movie, which I don't know how that's possible, but okay. I mean I'll watch the movie and see for myself, but like if if that's i don't know if that's a marketing ploy but it, i if it's true that will be one of the greatest things in cinema because jesus how can you do that when you're making a movie about atomic bomb but uh just yeah oppenheimer and barbie if you guys are excited for that at all definitely come back for episode four because we'll be, that's going to be the main two topics is it's going to be all barbie and oppenheimer yeah so barbie's like my guilty pleasure like i'm willing to risk 14 dollars to go see that and i and i'm i'm banking oh. on it being good oh yeah I, ryan gosling is ken margot robbie is barbie come on you got yeah and greta gerwig Girl. is yeah you can never go wrong with greta gerwig like i've seen a lot of her movies she's directed and she's actually she was an actress before she was a director and uh was. She's a great actress and a great director. So, like, I know she's going to, I know both of them are going to be great. And I, I mean, like I said, Nolan is the goat for me. He's my favorite director of all time. So, 
I know Oppenheimer's uh, Oppenheimer could could it beat the Dark Knight? Could it beat Inception? Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll find out one way or another. But yeah, outside of uh, episode four that's on the way, we're still trying to figure out a date for that, and we'll announce that whenever Jacob's comfortable. Um, we do have one new episode of Saturday Night Nerds Late Nights podcast that is coming out next Sunday at nine thirty. So Emperor will be doing an interview with some big time content creators, Panda Huggles and Nazo Gaming. So if anybody's staying up late that Sunday night, uh, you, you'll be able to tune in and catch that show. And then episode seven of the main podcast will be July 22nd at 6.30 p.m. Central. So, And we'll drop a whole calendar for all of our upcoming shows so you guys can keep tabs on that. I've actually looked. It's going to be even more busy, which is crazy. June was such a – I mean, we just did six movies. But July is going to – oh, my God. Because after – we have Mission Impossible <coughs> this weekend. Yeah, this weekend, Mission Impossible 7. And then we have Barbie and Oppenheimer the next weekend. And then the next weekend, July 28th is something. Uh, what is that What is that movie? There's a huge movie coming out July 28th. July 28th. July 28th. I bet I bet Fandango has it. I'm gonna try to look that up real quick. Yeah, it, it once you go see Sound of Freedom, your your opinion on uh on things might change drastically for sure. Uh Fandango, where are you? There you are. So coming soon. Oh, that's gonna take me a second. But you have any announcements you got to make, or uh, besides July and August being a probably more crazy than June, no, expect some. I I probably will say July and August will have more episodes than June and May had for sure, just because yeah. of the amount of movies that are coming out. Both just. Like the this year is just packed. This year is just absolutely packed. Yeah, we got our works cut out for us. Like I <laughs> thought June I thought June was gonna be a packed month, and I've been looking at July and August and holy crap. It's gonna be Let's nuts. See. I'm, I'm looking at upcoming movie. I'm trying to find it too. There's something like so Dune is oh Haunted Mansion Disney's Haunted Mansion Haunted Mansion that's it I'm definitely yeah. gonna check that out I love Lakeith Stanfield oh I love him that's the one guy I'm afraid of <laughs> you're afraid I'm, of him I'm I'm scared of I'm scared of Lakeith Stanfield they 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 typecast him a lot for weirdo uh, characters and it's just like I, I mm-hmm it's like why are they that comfortable doing that with him. I'll fight Dwayne Johnson before I fight him. <laughs> I can see that. Sorry to bother you. And Atlanta, he's a weird, he plays a weird character. I love Lakeith Stanfield, though, man. He's so good. Yeah, I wish he would play, play like a villain or something. I, I can, I can, he like, could be I can a terrifying him. villain. I yeah. could see that. I could see him being, because he's such a good at playing a weirdo that he could be a terrifying villain. Yeah, he can. It's but yeah, like, oh. Uh, my buddy James here just said, talk to me in Haunted Mansion, July 28th. Yep, those two. 
I yeah, will talk to That's an A24. Talk to me. That's the one with the like the the hand within yep. the supernatural horror film. Like, A24 yeah. horror. So A24 horror, I'm there day opening day. So yeah, like I said, Barbie and Oppenheimer. No. See, this is how many movies there are. I'm mixing them up. Mission Impossible is next week. Barbie and Oppenheimer the next week. Talk to me in Haunted Mansion the next week. And then the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie is the next week. Yeah, we got the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then Blue Beetle, uh, I think, is the next week after that. Or the week, maybe two weeks after that. Blue Beetle is in August, too. Yeah, we're, we're, we got that one listed as one of our topics for episode eight. So that's, that's supposed to be August 19th. Mm-hmm. And then September, you also got Legend of the White Dragon that's dropping. So we get to see um, James, J- David Frank, JDF, J- JD. We get to see JDF one more time. And uh, the promotion, like you see posters for it, but you don't see a whole lot of promotion for it. But I'm still going to see it no matter what, because JDF's my guy. And then you got Craven the Hunter the, the month after that. So. Between JFP and SNL, we got. Oh, we're gonna get slammed in November too, so we we got oh, our yeah. hands full. Like the rest of this year is just gonna be fully loaded. Yeah. So, so guys, be don't ready. be surprised. Yeah, so we go from episode three of JFP to like episode ten in like a in like a couple months. <laughs> yeah, I can see it happening. I can see it happening, honestly. Yeah, it's gonna have to paste it, paste these bad boys out. Until then, Barbie and Oppenheimer will be the next one you guys can look forward to. And I'm I plan on seeing a Mission Impossible too sometime because that's my favorite action franchise besides John Wick. So I will probably cover that in the same one. So it'll probably be Barbie, Mission Impossible, and Oppenheimer. So money. Yes, sir. Well, that's all you got. That's all I got. Yeah. And thank you everybody for tuning in to Jacob's Film Perspectives episode three. And we will catch you guys at episode four in a couple 